When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Save that for later. All right, we are live back on another Wisco Fanatics Wednesday. Not on Thursday like we were last week, but yes. we are live. We're going to talk about the Bucks today. We are going to talk about the Brewers today, and we're going to do just a last little bit of talking about the Packers. So, mm-hmm. um, we're going to start with the Bucks. We're going to talk about games two, three, and four. Then we're going to talk about the Brewers and their last week of games. And then with the Packers, we are going to discuss um, what our perfect drafts look like. We posted those on the page. So if you saw those, you got a mm-hmm. little sneak peek of what we're going to talk about. And then um, we're going to talk about what what should the Packers do in the trade market? Should they trade up? So we're going to talk about that. But we're going to start with the Bucks And something that Jake and I were just talking about before the show, and we're going to start with this is Wesley Matthews being in the starting lineup because Grayson Allen is going to be a hot topic of discussion in mm-hmm. our in our all of our Bucks talk today. So with Grayson Allen being such a hot topic of conversation, people are already starting to insert him back into the starting lineup in their minds just because he's scoring a lot. So mm-hmm. Jake and I want to address that, and that's what we're going to start talking about the show with. So let's let's talk about Wesley Matthews before we get into our recaps. So how this started is we started talking about, you know, roles in basketball and Wesley Matthews role on his team. And he's fitting perfectly into that. He plays tough defense. He hits timely three pointers and he's just a guy that spreads the floor and just makes life hard for the ball handler on the other side. Um, We could talk about who's going to match up with the Celtics after tonight, because we are going to absolutely destroy the Bulls. They don't Mm -hmm. have Levine or Caruso. So uh, DeRozan's not going for 41 tonight because he's about to get doubled every time he touches the ball. And yeah, it's going to be a lot to of – Try to rely on Io DeSunmu and Patrick Williams. Yep, and Vucevic is about to shoot a bazillion times. Um, he's going to be like three for 19, I bet. It's going to be bad. I hope – what was game one? I forgot. Didn't he, didn't DeRozan go 6 of 25, right? And he yep. said, no way in hell I'll go 6 of 25. Bro, if he goes 6 of 25, I'm trolling the fuck <laughs> out of him on Twitter. Um <laughs> But anyways, Wesley Matthews, he's just fitting perfectly into his role. So if you don't know basketball, you can come here. We'll teach you. Um, he's fitting much better into his role this time. Just play tough defense and shoot threes, man. And every once in a while, I like when he does that pump fake and drives, and he kind of creates the, the driving kick scenario in a certain play. He, st- he starts that, in my opinion, sometimes. Yeah. Um, so with, with the other thing with Wesley Matthews is, like, he brings defense. So that's why Budenholzer put him in the starting lineup in the first place is for his defense. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, like, it's it's nice having offense. But think about what the offense gives you 
when you don't have to spend as much energy on defense. So it you're looking at the defensive side of the ball, and it can affect your offense. Basketball is a two-way game. So when you're not exerting as much energy on defense, say take this upcoming Celtics series, for example, when they're playing against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you put Wesley Matthews on one of those two, that's just one guy that's great on offense that the the, the Giannis and the Drew and Middleton, when he's back, if he gets back for the Celtics series, that they don't have to spend so much energy guarding them. Mm-hmm. So that helps them offensively because they're not as tired. So it, it matters. Definitely does. Um, are we going to address the Grayson sitting on the bench thing real quick? How he comes sure. off the bench? Yep. He f- plays so much better off the bench. Uh, first of all, if you're a starter, you kind of put yourself in a mindset that like, oh, yeah, I'm one of the five best players on this team, so I got to make an impact. Uh, at any given time, whoever the fifth starter is, they're probably the fifth best player on our team in the starting lineup, in my opinion. Uh, Giannis is the best. Chris Middleton, Drew, you could put them 2-3. And then Brooke Lopez, his value on both ends of the court is unmatched. There's really only one one or two players ahead of them that match equally every night their value on offense and defense. Drew may be shooting bad. That's why I might put Brooke above him uh, once in a while. But, you know, Grayson coming off the bench, he's playing against lesser players because, you know, he's playing, playing against bench players. Yeah. So he can kind of just go crazy and dictate what he wants to do. I like that he's not just settling for shots. He is taking good good open shots, Dude, but he's being like aggressive going to the rim. Exactly. He's scoring inside five feet and outside the three-point line and nowhere in between. Yes, and it is. he's playing with a great rhythm right now. So yeah, hope he keeps Every that time up. he shoots, it's like, is it going to go in? It went in. And it, it, it went was. in again? <laughs> right? I started laughing. I was like, this is a joke. I was dude. laughing too on this Sunday. I'm watching. Joke. I'm like, dude, he just made another one. I'm like, there's no way he's going to make another three. And he's not hitting rim, bro. Oh, my. Yeah. And it was splash. It's like, mm-hmm. he's like four for five on threes. And it's like, okay, there's no way he's going to make this one. Then he makes that one too. And it's like, geez, he's five for six on threes. It's like, there's no way he's going to make the next one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he flashes it and he's six for seven on threes. It's like, Jesus Grayson. <laughs> right? Boo. Yeah. All right. We'll get, we'll get to that. So let's, let's start with game two because we got to talk about the game two first. We got to get the bad news out of the way. Yeah. So let's, let's just do it. Just rip off the band aid. Let's talk okay. about game two. Well, the worst news is that Middleton got hurt. Yep. That's that's the worst part of the whole game. Uh, obviously, DeRozan went off. He had his playoff career high, 41 points. Um, on top of that, I mean, Brooke Lopez still played good. He was 9 of 15 for 25 points. Giannis was Giannis, 33, 18, and 9. Like, that's ridiculous, dude. Uh, Wesley was good. Uh, Drew Holiday was not very good. He was 6 of 16. I don't feel like he was aggressive enough. I feel like he was forcing shots. Uh, the thing that really bothered me about this game was the energy level of, of the Milwaukee Bucks. It seemed like they were kind of just going through the motions, walking, feeling like, oh, okay, well, when we have to turn on and, and win the game, we can do that. And it never happened because you allowed the Bulls to get into such a rhythm offensively. And we were still a little sloppy with the ball. Uh, we missed 11 free throws, so that was terrible. Yeah, that's – Yeah. Um, just you can't let the Bulls shoot – over 40% from three, and you're turning the ball over missing free throws, and you're not shooting at an efficient level. That's how you lose basketball games to teams that are not on your level. The Bulls are not on the Bucks level. So you do all three of those things, you're going to lose, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, the other thing with that is this is what I said after the game, was it took two of the Bucks' six best players getting injured 
yep. and Bobby and Middleton and DeRozan having the playoff game of his entire career, his literally best playoff game that he has ever played. He's like a 13-year vet Yeah. to win by four. Yeah. That's like Jake said, that's how you know the, the Bulls aren't on the Bucks level. <clears throat> so the Bulls got the Bulls pretty much set the tone in this game. They got off to a hot start up nine to nothing right away. Mm-hmm. Um, Bucks had four for four turnovers in the first two minutes of the game. Then went on a 13 to five run, tied the game at 16. Um, Drew Holiday went and got in the paint. They posted him up. He got an easy bucket on Caruso. That's the kind of thing to get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jake said, he didn't finish the greatest, but. Um, <clears throat> it was kind of rough in the second quarter. It seemed like Brooke Lopez was the Bucks' most off, uh, effective offensive player at times in the second quarter. Um, just got to count on guys hitting open jumpers, which thankfully, as we we know the future after this game, that they did. Yeah. Um, but the Bulls got nine more shots than the Bucks in the first half. Yeah, that's that's where the turnovers and giving up offensive rebounds comes in, and that's why I talk about those things when I do my fundamental failures. Um. Mm-hmm. All right, what's up, James? James is excited. He's already waiting for the Bucks in the second round. He's a Celtics. He is. So he is. Um, getting into the second half, two of the first three possessions of the second half resulted in offensive fouls. Now, I don't know if everybody that watches our show knows this, but offensive fouls count as turnovers. Yep. So that's that's something that they can kind of they can kind of limit and and control their turnovers with is offensive fouls. So that's part of it. Um, just kind of playing under control and not just trying to go through somebody just for the sake of going through them. Yeah. Um, Bulls started committing some turnovers in the third quarter. Bucks weren't really doing anything off of them. What's up, Scott? Um, Chris Middleton second half started to get heating up. Um, they did, they did make a run. The Bucks did make a run when they switched and put, um, Giannis, on uh, Nikola Vucevic instead of Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez was getting around just a little bit too slow on the pick and roll. So mm-hmm. they've switched Giannis onto it that allowed the Bucks to make a run. Um in the third quarter, uh, they cut the lead down to single digits under two minutes to go. Bucks scored thirty one points in the third quarter. Giannis and Chris Middleton had twenty five of them. Yeah, Middleton was getting hot, man. And so Middleton comes in in the fourth quarter. And it's, yeah, it is. I bet it's fun running, running people over. I'm sure it is, especially when you're stronger than everybody on the court. <laughs> right. I would imagine that's what Giannis feels like. Um, turnovers, missed open shots. The Bulls pushed their lead back up to 16. DeRozan basically hitting everything. Caruso and Vucevic hit a couple threes. And then Middleton came in, boosted the offense. When he came in, it was like assist, assist, layup, assist. All the assists were by Middleton. And then he got hurt, and then the offense sputtered again. More just careless, like, unforced, bad communication turnovers. Like Drew Holiday, just at the top of the key, just trying to make an entry pass. And I don't I don't remember who it was, if it was Pat or Grayson went to cut. I think it was And the ball Grayson. just got passed out of bounds. I think it was Grayson. Um, and Holiday hit a big three, and then he missed a layup. And he talked about it after the game. He's like, you know, I didn't get fouled or anything. He's like, I just missed it. Yeah. So Drew Holiday is an unfortunate miss at the end of the game. But um, Brooke was doing what he could, cut the lead down to three. And then last possession, you allowed two offensive rebounds. 
Killer, yeah. killer offensive rebounds. You could have had a chance to win there. So, Jake already mentioned Giannis and Drew Holiday and Wesley Matthews um, and Brooke Lopez. Chris Middleton had 18 points, five rebounds, and eight assists, and two steals. It's five for seven on threes. Um, I agree, Scott. If Middleton didn't get hurt, I, I believe we win that game. Um, strictly for, like I said, the first four possessions when he came back in were a Middleton assist, a Middleton assist, a Middleton layup, and a Middleton assist. Like As soon as he came back in, the offense just was humming, and then he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to evaluate him in two weeks, which was a week from today. So um, they're going to reevaluate him next Wednesday. So if he's potentially good to go at that reevaluation, he could potentially be back for a game three, even a game two, if they go Sunday, Wednesday again, like they have been. I think they'll probably go Sunday. Yeah, they might go Wednesday again. They might go Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. So, um, and and if that's the case, depending on what's going on in the series and what game one looks like, um, you know, they could potentially just hold him out for another game just to be safe. But looking at this game, Jake already mentioned the 11 missed free throws. Bucks gave up four second chance points and 19 points off of turnovers. Those are the fundamental failures that I count every game, and 34 points on the fundamental failures. That's not good. That's not All right, good. turn the page. Let's literally. I'm literally turning the page in my yep. notes. Let's turn talk about fun games. Oh, I'm ready, baby. <laughs> All right, let's talk about game three. Oh man, so I'm just gonna reminisce about my my day in between uh, the the game here. Uh, Middleton was hurt, so apparently the Bucks were done uh, because Middleton was the entire Bucks organization. Yeah, five. I heard that too. I tried to make a bet, but the dude didn't respond. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, we still had Giannis, um, so there's that. Uh, Brooke uh, was playing good, but Bobby didn't play good. Um, I really feel like Drew Holiday wasn't playing that good in the first two games. He was okay, but I have high expectations for him now. Um, Grayson, obviously we know the future, and Grayson really, really started to play good. And everybody else was just picking up. It was, you know, next man up mentality. Chris Middleton even talked about it. Um, But here, here it is, here it is. So I'm I, I'm gonna go through the plus minuses real quick of just the uh, just five players. It's Giannis, Brooke, Bobby, Drew Holiday, and Grayson that I have on the top here. Plus thirty six for Giannis. That's plus thirteen for Brooke. Plus twenty for Bobby Portis. Plus twenty seven for Drew Holiday and a plus fifteen for Grayson Allen. So I talked about how you can't let the the Bulls shoot a higher percentage than you and turn the ball over. They cut down the turnovers. They started shooting the ball better. They only had a couple missed free throws this game. Uh, they had 55 rebounds. Yep, they missed four. Um, they had 55 rebounds to the Bulls, 43 rebounds. The way the Bucks' mentality, the way that they they responded to that game two loss at home, it was almost a, a blessing in disguise. You know, in basketball, the better team usually wins a series because it goes so long. So the Bucks being able to respond, you know, a couple – couple days later it was really a beautiful thing i'm glad there wasn't a two-day span in between games it was only one day let's travel down there let's play a game again because it, we were able to wash away all the demons grayson allen though dude five of seven on threes oh i was having a great old time talking some shit man <laughs> uh well i'm we're gonna talk more about grayson so i'm gonna save yep, that for a little i'm waiting for yet, but yeah wait for after game four here then so I got something. we'll see 
I think when they get to the Celtics series, I think they're going to swap Bobby Portis out for Pat Connaughton in the starting lineup strictly okay. for the reason that I think um, I think Bobby Portis is in the starting lineup against the Bulls because they suffer so much at defending the paint. So I think that's that's the reason that Bobby Portis is in the starting lineup. Other than that, um, I do think if Middleton's still out, I think it's possible that they put Grayson Allen in and they start mm-hmm. him at small four and they start uh, Wesley Matthews at small forward. I do think that's possible. Yep. Uh, but if I, if I had to pick, I do think – uh, Pat Connaughton gets put into that starting lineup just because the Celtics are a little bit of a smaller team in their starting lineup. And they have multiple um, ball handlers. Right. Um, so looking at this one, I started Bobby Portis in this one because, like I said, the Bulls don't defend the paint well. Grayson Allen started off hot and stayed hot, started off three for three on threes. Mm-hmm. Um, they put this is This is my biggest thing so far with Mike Budenholzer. So we talked about it last year a lot about how Budenholzer wasn't the best at in-game adjustments, but he was very good at game-to-game adjustments. Yes. And the first adjustment that he made in this game after DeMar DeRozan went crazy in Game 2 is he put Drew Holiday on DeMar DeRozan, and they said, whoever's defending DeRozan, you force him left. Every single time. you fight through the damn screen. Yup. And And, there's nobody better at that than Drew Holiday. Point blank, absolutely simple. not. He, dude, he like I've, um, I read an article, and it was it was kind of like an interview and an article, um, from the Athletic a couple weeks ago, and it was Drew Holiday talking about the way that he plays defense, mm-hmm. and hearing the way that he's thinking like three four steps in advance on every play, it it doesn't surprise me at all the way that he's able to dodge screens or to be in mm-hmm. position to get over them, like the way that he puts himself in between the ball handler and the screener. To do that without fouling is it's honestly an art form, I would say, as far as defense is concerned in the NBA. So people say there's no defense in the NBA. I disagree. Watch Drew Holiday. And there's another guard that just won defense player of the year. I don't agree with it, but you know, Marcus Smart won defense player of the year. He was playing some good I won't lie, he was playing some good defense on KD, man. When KD was trying to dribble and Marcus Smart was standing right in front of him and forced KD into some really tough shots, man. That game that what was that game? Game two or game three. I think it was game three when Durant went 0 for 10 in the second half. Marcus Smart was doing some work on him, okay, man. Like, Mikael Bridges in Phoenix is a pretty good defender. Um, he stripped Brandon Ingram, like, in the first half last night. Brandon Ingram went to go up for a jump shot, and Bridges just slapped the ball right out of his hand as he was gathering to go up. So there's there's still good defense in the NBA. I agree. I agree. Um, Javon Carter was doing a good job defensively in the second quarter on Zach Levine. So – with no George Hill, Javon Carter is getting some playoff, um, some playoff minutes, um, and then Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen flashing the defense a little bit. So Grayson Allen playing well offensively, and then Patrick Williams catches by himself in the restricted circle, turns that he goes to take what he thinks is going to be a super easy layup, and Grayson Allen comes flying out of nowhere to block it. Mm-hmm. Grayson Allen blocked a power forward at the rim. Patrick Williams, nah. Seems like the game's a little fast for him, in my opinion. Okay, so this is this is Patrick Williams' series so far. So he went, like, mountain top, mountain valley, mountain top, mountain valley. Like, that's that's how he's been so far in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice seeing Dirk Lopez back in this series a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, every time he shoots that one-foot fadeaway, it's like, oh, here's Dirk Lopez. Um, Cashed a couple, I man. I know he did. 
I might have to get a, a custom jersey that says Dirk Lopez. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Bulls, the Bulls barely got to the free throw line in this game. So one of the keys that I had for the entire series was keep DeRozan and Levine off the free throw line because they're such good free throw shooters. Mm-hmm. And the Bucks did a seriously fantastic job moving around on defense, swarming on defense defending jump shots without fouling, forcing the Bulls into jump shots, not letting them get to the rim. Bucks did a very, 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 very good job of that in this game to the point where they were able to get the bench guys some minutes. And then Luca Vildoza. That dude just comes out. He's throwing between the legs passes, behind the back passes. He's throwing over the head passes. He caught one where he got a bounce pass, caught it with one hand, and threw another bounce pass. To, oh man, I don't remember who Nuora. it was. I think it was Jordan Wara, yep. It was a dunk, uh, by the way. It was, it, was it a dunk? Okay. He dunked that and, shit, man. And then, like, two possessions later, he gets a fast break, throws a behind the back pass to Thanasis, who goes and dunks on Patrick Williams and Giannis and Pat Connaughton lost their shit. Bro, Thanasis. <laughs> he was going crazy, bro. Uh, so it was cool to see. Um, Luca Vildoza also got his first NBA points in this game. So he hit a three. That was his first NBA points that he scored. So um, kind of a cool special night for them. What's up, Simon? How you doing? Um, so I want to throw a couple other plus minuses out there. Wesley Matthews, plus 14. Pat Connaughton at 11 points and four rebounds. He was plus 18. And then I'm going to throw Javon Carter out there. He scored zero points and was still plus 19. Zero points, plus 19. Played good defense, grabbed a rebound, had four assists, and a steal, plus 19 for Javon Carter without scoring any points. Man, oh, man. No. So, no. Hold on, hold on. I got I got two more things. I got to say, like I said, Wesley Matthews and Drew Holiday did a great job in DeMar DeRozan. He only got off nine shots in this game. I know, dude. We were clamping him. The, oh, absolute clamps. Now listen to this. The Bucks led this game in every single statistical category. That's bad, dude. This was the worst goal, home loss in Bulls history. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, turnovers. Bucks led in every single one of them. That's bad. We smacked that out of them. All right. You ready? This is my last thing. I'm so excited to share this about game okay. three. Okay. Bucks only missed four free throws. Oh God. They only gave up six second chance points and seven points off turnovers. That's 17 fundamental failure points. That is the lowest fundamental failure point total that I have had since I started tracking this in like February. And right that's there. the lowest. And, and the right, Bucks won by freaking 30. That's why you won by 30 because you, you took away all the mental errors. They played almost a perfect game basically. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Almost a perfect game. By doing the things you're supposed to do, the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they were great. Good. That made me feel good. They were great, man. All, All right. right, man. Let's go to game oh. four. You ready, bro? Woo! <laughs> oh, this, this is. I mean, I was feeling good game three, right? But then when we did it again, two days later, I was like, oh hell no, bro! This shit is over. Like they're done playing. So you go to the percentages. The Bulls shot 39% on field goals, 25% on threes. And just by looking at that, you're like, oh, shit, they probably didn't win. You look at the Bucks, 
They shot 52% from the field and 52% behind the arc. <laughs> that's bad. Another 50-plus rebound game. That's what this team can do. They did miss six free throws. They were 12 of 18. Not yep. good, not great. Uh, but, yeah, honest, dude. 32, 17, and seven assists. And I was having a discussion with another one of my buddies, and he was like, it seems like every assist Giannis had was for a three-pointer. And I was like, that might be something to look into, man. Because if you look at it and then you, you t- tally up those threes, it's another like 21 points. Giannis is, you know, on the court, and he's, he's giving you 50-plus points of production just off of him. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I talked about it in, a, in the keys. I, I didn't want Giannis to try to go crazy and try to force the issue. Because game three, they played with such a great rhythm. Mm-hmm. And he did. He he played within the offense. He allowed everybody else to shoot, and he was only he only scored five more points than Grayson freaking Allen, dude. <laughs> so and Drew Holiday at twenty six. And Brooke Lopez only needed two points, mm-hmm. and we and we we won by what we did. Here's 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 the thing. Yeah, Here, here's the thing that that I wrote down. So in game three, the Bucks had forty seven bench points. In game four, they had thirty nine bench points. In total, they scored 232 points, right? Total, the whole team. So that means the bench had 86 points and the starters had 146 points. If you continue to get that production when Chris Middleton comes back, we're winning back-to-back titles. I don't give a shit who you put in front of us. It could be the Phoenix Suns teaming up with the Brooklyn Nets. If the Bucks are getting 86 points out of their bench, yeah. In two games? Yeah, yeah, dude. It's about to be over. That's, I mean, you're looking at it basically that you're getting 70 points out of your big three. You're getting 30, mm-hmm. 20, and 20, yep. and 40-plus points from your bench. You're talking like 115 points right there without adding in whatever Brooke Lopez and Wesley Matthews give you. Yeah. Brooke, then, Matt, Brooke, Brooke Lopez can give you 10, 15, 20. Wesley Matthews can give you 6 to six to 12. I just mean, off threes? Yeah. And you're, and you're talking about a team that doesn't rely solely on their offense to win games like Brooklyn Nets do. Nope, they can play defense. One of the best in the league, I would say. Right. When they need to, the third quarter. When they need to, bro, the Bucks will clamp some shit down. Yeah. Yeah, and and the whole the Middleton not being a good defender thing, it's 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 just plain not true. Um, Looking at like what he did in the first two games of the series, people are like, oh, Middleton would be better if he at least played defense. Like, he still does. He forces tough shots. He forces missed shots because mm-hmm. he's so long. So, you know, whatever. It is what it is. We'll talk about it when when uh, Chris Middleton comes back. But this game started similar to Game Three, forcing Demar Derozan left every time he touched the ball. Holiday had eight points in the first four minutes, um, and then. Basically, the defense the defense was swarming, absolutely mm-hmm. swarming. Running Demar Derozan and Zach Levine off the of screens, helping and then getting back, um, forcing basically forcing Alex Caruso and Patrick Williams to try to beat you from the three point line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was thinking about this during Game Four. Not that I want to try to help the Bulls out, but I don't know why they don't try to run a two man game with Demar Derozan and Zach Levine ever. Oh. The, I mean, the Bucks do it with Giannis and Middleton. Like, Giannis is going to set a lot of harder screens than a Zach Levine is. But, I mean, if those two are teaming up, like, who do you try to stop? Like, do you try to force DeMar Rosen into a double team? Do you try to guard Zach Levine for the pick and pop? Like, 
both can like go to the rim, not too. I'm trying to, yeah, not like I'm trying to help the Bulls out, but, um, you know, it's worth trying when you're down 3-1. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Portis got a foul on a three-point line. Missed. Missed two free throws out of three. Got to make your free throws. You still got to make your free throws. Um, <laughs> I love that this happened against Kobe White because I've been saying he's overrated since he came into the league. What's up, Taylor? Um, since he came into the league, he comes in, Grayson Allen strips him like two possessions in a row. I know, dude. That was so funny. <laughs> Grayson Allen had three steals in the first half. Um, still shooting hot. The Bucks. <laughs> as long as you can stop the other team from getting transition, the Bucks half-court defense was absolutely fantastic in this game. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been very good throughout this entire series. You look at it, they've played four games so far. The Bulls have failed to reach 100 points three times. Yep. That's pretty bad. That is in a couple of those times Ooh. the game the games were over for for a couple of minutes and we were kind of just giving up just easy buckets like layups and turning the ball over and yeah, and they they still only broke 100 once. Yeah. All right. Taylor, appreciate your kind comments. That's the stuff that makes us keep doing what we're doing. Uh, James is already looking forward to the second second round. We got to finish talking about game four and preview game five first. So, all right. So the the Bucks had a really balanced first half in game four. Um, mm-hmm. Grayson Allen had sixteen points. Giannis had twelve. Drew Holiday had eleven, and Bobby Portis had eleven. Really balanced in the first half. Um, let's talk about. Let's talk about Drew Holiday and his absolutely disrespectful second quarter or second half three point shots. Oh so, man. First he gets an assist of Bobby Portis in the corner for a three. Second, he comes down 18 seconds on the shot clock and he pulls up from this far behind the three point line straight away. 18 seconds on the shot clock. You and I text each other at the same time, like, okay, Drew, that's how you feel. Like, damn. I was like, oh in real life, I was holding my phone waiting for your t- and I was like, oh, hell no, he didn't just do that shit. Bro, in <laughs> Chicago, bro, he basically told him to fuck off. <laughs> uh, Courtney says hi. Well, she waved. I don't know if she said hi. hi. That's why I just she could be saying bye. Every time I, I do I, this, I feel like I'm doing the Pennywise when he's holding the hand. <laughs> That's what I feel like every time I wave like that. I think Courtney will probably appreciate the reference. All right, so the second time this happened, Drew Holiday gets a ball. Uh, like at like half court, like five seconds left in the shot clock. Uh-huh. He takes two dribbles, pulls up from this far behind the three-point line. Like a straight cash. Yeah, bro. <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> um, so, Drew Holiday just doing his thing. He Like Jake said, he scored 26 points. Uh, the Bulls did make a 17-3 run at one point. Uh, the Bucks weathered the storm with Giannis, Grace Allen, and Pat Connaughton. I want to get Pat Connaughton some credit for for the move that he made. So Pat Connaughton catches the ball at the like straight away right around the three-point line. Instead of pulling that shot, he kind of catches, does a little pump fake, drives to the rim for a wide open layup. For a guy who's been struggling shooting this series a little bit, that was a great move to go and get yourself some points and to help uh, weather the storm of the run that the Bulls were making. So I wanted to give Pat some uh, some credit there. Um, and then I got to say the goaltending that Giannis got called for on Zach Levine was a terrible call. 
if, if Budenholzer wanted to challenge a play, that would have been the one, in my opinion. Um, I know mm-hmm. he likes to hold on to it for the fourth quarter, but, I mean, taking two points off the board for the Bulls while they're in the middle of making a big run would have been worth it, in my opinion. But um, I got to say, we get to the fourth quarter. I got to give you some credit because the Bucks were really playing within themselves and taking what the defense is giving them. That was one of your keys before game four. Mm-hmm. Wesley Matthews is helping close the game out. He hit two threes late in this game. Um, yeah, he did back to back. hit another. Yeah, he did. He back to back. Drew hit that other super deep three, and then Giannis was talking in the post game interview about trusting his teammates. That was one of my keys going into game mm-hmm. four. So mm-hmm. I wanted to give you some credit and then toot my own horn a little bit. But um, it's like we know things, teammates. I, I mean, it's like we know. We watch enough basketball. I mean, we should. We've played enough basketball. We we've been around the game for a long time, man. And it's like, you know, the thing is with, with Jake and I, like, we do this show. Like, yeah, we watch the games. We don't just come and talk about them after we watch the games. Like, we look at the stats. We read about the games that we've already watched. And then we read about what other people are saying about the games that we already watched. And then we talk to people about the games that we've already watched. And all of those things, all of that stuff is just a huge collective of what Jake and I then take and put into a notebook and then come and talk to each other about. I mean, even the conversations we have with, like, coworkers or, you know, I go to, like, store to store. Mm-hmm. And, like, even the discussions I have with, like, the receivers in the back, that helps, like, form different opinions because everybody has a different mindset and thinks of things differently, sees things differently. So when somebody sees something a certain way, I'm like, it's a good idea. I didn't see it like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relook at it, and then maybe you're right. You know what I'm saying? And it's and we get to – get it's kind of a collective thing where it's like, you know, we get to see what other people are thinking. Um, so, you know, it helps us – you know, just being closer to other fans that we get to see what other people are thinking. Same way Mm -hmm. with social media. Like some people shouldn't have social media. Some people say some really dumb shit, but you know, it is what it is. Taylor, I a hundred percent agree with that. Hey, Um, you let them know, let them know. Yeah. You you sent us. Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) I have some bad news for James. Uh, He wants the bulls to force a game six. The bucks have never lost in a closeout game under a coach. Bud, they are seven and zero in closeout games in the playoffs under Coach Bud. So there's your stat of the day, baby. <laughs> Good one. Might have to might have to hold on to that one for the stat of the week. Yes, sir. Because uh, they'll be eight and zero after tonight. They so. will be eight and zero. They definitely will be. <laughs> All right. So Giannis had 32, 17, and seven. It was nine of twelve from the free throw line. Grayson Allen absolutely absurd. Twenty seven points on ten of twelve shooting. And six of seven on threes, which is freaking ridiculous. Six of seven on threes. Like, who does that? Grayson Allen. Apparently, Grayson Allen does. <laughs> um, and he had two rebounds and three steals. <sighs> Drew Holiday, 26 points, seven assists. Bobby Portis, another double-double, 14 and 10. Um, so, the Bulls cut this to a single-digit game. <laughs> it was a 68-60. Um we were just talking about that too. Yeah, we're yeah, we got one. We're just, oh, we got one more thing, and then we're gonna get to the Grayson Allen. And we're gonna talk about it. We we're just um, talking about that. <laughs> so the Bulls cut this game to sixty-eight, sixty. The bull, the Bucks outscored the Bulls from that point, fifty-one to thirty-five. Ugh. That's bad. So, okay, I got two more things before we move on to our power pairs. All right, all right. Giannis said This was his fifth game of thirty points. 15 rebounds and five assists. That's the fifth time he's done that in the playoff game. He trails only one other person. LeBron. 
LeBron, who has yep. six. Oh, I didn't know that. Holy yeah. shit. I knew it was LeBron instantly. Really. I instantly knew it was LeBron, but yeah, Giannis is going to own that record. Yeah. Shit, he might tie that tonight. He might break a game one against the Celtics. Exactly. Giannis 30, is just getting five. into his prime, dude. He's just entering his prime. <laughs> this is ridiculous. You know, I have it written in my notes. So we're so conditioned to his greatness. It's <sighs> it's almost unfair to Giannis, dude. That's why we're. That's one of the things. Like we are literally witnessing greatness. We're trying to get people to come on to that. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. I Witness Giannis. it and appreciate it while it's happening. Don't wait until it's over and then be like, "Damn, Giannis was really good for a long time." Like we're trying to tell you, he's good now. He's very good now. He's, you can enjoy he's it now. All time great now. Like literally right now, he is all time great. I was. Oh my god. Okay. Can I tell a story real quick? I got into an argument with a Timberwolves fan the other day. Oh and my god, I know what this is gonna be already. They were talking about how good Anthony Edwards is. And I'm like, yeah, Anthony Edwards is pretty good, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's no way he's going to be as good as Giannis was at 26, though. Blah, blah, blah. He's talking about, oh, yes, he can. And I'm like, do you understand that Giannis won two MVPs, the most improved player, defensive player of the year? I'm getting out of breath because I have to name all these awards. He's a finals MVP and a champion at age 26. If Anthony Edwards does all that, I will shut the hell up. He has no chance. And I like Anthony Edwards, but it's just, like, I do, too. Yep. do you understand that this guy made the top 75 players of all time at 26 he's years top, old? He's top 20. He was number 18. I, I know, I know. But I just made the, I just made the point that he made an all-time great team at 26, bro. That is ridiculous. Yeah, he should be MVP. And I know that playoffs shouldn't matter because then you could take one of Giannis' MVPs away. But Jokic is horrible in the playoffs. He is horrible. He, oh my God, he's like getting his ass whooped. Like he's not even he being did, competitive. They had to take him off the court at the end of the game because he's a defensive liability. Yeah, dude, it's it's not, it's not okay. Um, I will. I don't know if I'm ready to put Giannis top ten of all time yet. I would say I'd I'd be willing to discuss top fifteen. I'll tell um, you what though, if he goes on and wins another Finals MVP and another title, and and say that the Bucks completely dominate, right? Like they go. 4-1-4-1-4-1, and there's actually a beat writer out there. He's pretty famous. His name is Nick Wright. He's predicting that the Bucks are going to do that for the playoffs. If he does that and goes and wins the title, I might start talking top 10. I'm not even freaking playing with you, man. I'm, I'm with you on that. As soon as he gets a second title, he's already above KD, in my opinion. Oh, he's oh, – well, especially right now, how KD looked. If, if Giannis goes out there and he 4-1s the Celtics when they just got swept, that's going to be a bad, bad look for KD. And he just lost to him in the playoffs the year before. Four. We're gonna start having some discussions, man. Yeah, he did. He did. No, right. and, and I'm not even talking about like right now. I'm talking about like in in a couple of years. Like I'm talking yeah, when Edwards is 26. Really young. He's got like he's got like four years to go yet before he's 26. Yeah, I no, he's 20, so he's got he's got six years. But he's got to win two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year. Like he's got to win a title. Like got most improved. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and, and he was like, he'll never win most improved. He's improving every year. I'm like, bro, do you understand that John Morant literally just did that, and he was improving every year? Yep. <laughs> Smart ass. <laughs> that's that's how you win, you know, the most improved player you, award. You you get better. Yeah, I agree. yeah, like yeah, like if you if you do something really good, if you do it like much gooder the next year. <laughs> that's how you have to talk to Minnesota people. <laughs> uh. I don't want. I'm not gonna. 
I'm not going to tell you how you have to talk to Chicago people because it would be really rude and profanity laden. Oh, oh, yeah, let's not do that. I don't want people to know that side of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't need to hear my Chicago voice. That would be yeah. that would be rough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, Scott, I do agree. It's hard to compare players to different eras, and you know that's always where the discussion is going to lie mm-hmm. because that's like I do think Jordan and LeBron are one and two. But every single no, – I, I shouldn't say every single. That's not fair. Uh, a lot of Jordan fans will strictly tell you that Jordan is better than LeBron just because you can't clothesline people anymore. Yeah, like that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can't pull people down by their shoulders anymore, like stuff like that. Like, oh, I miss real basketball. You mean when it was 50% football? Like, Yeah, seriously. I mean, I, man, I could have made a damn NBA at that point. If you could just clothesline people, yeah, I, the yeah, bench. I'll go you, in. You could, have been, you could have been a slower version of Dennis Rodman. Yeah, fucking hey, bring it, bring it on, <laughs> baby. Let's go. Like, yeah, I'll just go push everybody out of the way to grab the ball. Like, I can do that. Like, and then now me and Carmen Electra will do our do the thing at at half court. I'm cool with that. I will definitely be Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's <laughs> let's move on to our power pair. Now, Sorry. I know we have at least one of the same, so we might as well get that one out of the way. All right, you want to go first? Sure. Let's do Let's do Grayson Allen. Let's talk about Grayson Allen because yep. there's a little bit more to talk about him um, aside from his performances. So let's start with that. Okay, so Grayson Allen. Um, I didn't add game two into the totals. Um, he had three points, one rebound, one assist. He was one of four uh, for the field, an 0 of two from three. But in the two games in Chicago, and this is just fucking ridiculous Straight up just ridiculous. He averaged 24.5 points, 4 rebounds, 0 assists. He didn't need to because every time he touched the damn ball, it was going through, it the, was hoop going through the hoop. <laughs> he was 18 of 24 on field goals. So that's 75%. Yep. And somehow he shot better from 3, which is really dumb. 11 of 14. That is 79% from 3. Bro. Like, holy shit. Grayson he- Allen. 80% for three. being the villain. Yeah. Boo. Dude, that photo after he made the three and the whole bench going boo is legendary. That is, that is awesome. just That is just like the Bucks and Six chain. I feel like we're going to talk about that forever. Because it was Chicago. That's and the only reason. It was funny because after game three, Drew Holiday was doing it while he was getting interviewed. And and uh, Grayson Allen's getting interviewed. Drew Holiday walks past him, goes boo, and like pushes him out of the way. And Grayson's just laughing. I... You can see it in his face. Like my dad commented this when we posted our um our we still own you thing. And you can tell and I agree that Grayson Allen is trying to fight off smiles while he he's is. he's in the middle of a game, he's trying to be professional and you can see him trying to fight back smiles. Grayson Allen is loving being the villain and it could not happen to a better franchise. I could not be happier that something like this, this karma effect of, oh, Grayson Allen's a dirty player. Oh, he got elbowed in the head. Yay! And that garbage attitude of Chicago to try to get even or try to hurt players because you think Grayson Allen tried to hurt Caruso, which I still don't think he did. But just to try to think that, oh, yeah, we should go injure their player. That's a good idea. That's how this works. For him to come and drop 22 and 27 on you and make 11 out of 14 threes and absolutely torch you, the guy yeah. that you hate the most on our team, for him to yeah. light you up in your city two games in a row and beat you by 30 and 24 in your building, that is just two middle fingers up on the way out. Like, yep. peace. Kiss my ass. 
basically. Enjoy your vacation, Chicago. Tim, I really hope they boo him in Boston, man, because we're going to fucking need it game one and two, man. We really are. Without middle, they might, Tim, we're they might need as well try to get creative and try cheering for him and did see you, what happens. Yeah, did you hear Giannis? He said, hopefully, <laughs> yeah. hopefully they, they boo him in Milwaukee. And I was like, yeah. oh, hell no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they do it. They they said that they've been doing it in practice. They've been doing it everywhere. Yeah. The problem. Here's the difference. Kyrie is so mentally weak. He he's not all up there, man. I don't care what anybody says. I've talked about this before. Kyrie's not all up here, man. It's not all connected. So when when you get him out of his game a little bit mentally, it's a wrap. The guy can play basketball. I won't lie. Yep. He's one of the most exciting players to watch when he's on fire. The way he handles. Knows the ball and he can shoot from deep and yep. he can get to the rim and finish. He's a great finisher, but it ain't all up here, man. And that's that's eighty percent of it, in my opinion. Mental game is is, is, a, is most of it. Yeah. Well, and knowing how to play the game, like that's that's part of it too. Is yeah. Kyrie's never been and never will be a good defender. I don't remember the stats, but uh, somebody shared his record. You know, in the playoffs and regular season since he left LeBron. Both of them are under 500. Yeah. Not good. Kyrie, you try, you tried to be like, yeah, I don't need LeBron James. You don't need LeBron James. You sound like a freaking idiot. Everybody needs LeBron James. He's good. You literally had Kyrie, Harden, and Kevin Durant on the same team. Yeah, right. Oh, James, James, I know they don't like Kyrie. That was very apparent after he stomped on the logo. You know, he before said that he was gonna. He said he was gonna resign, and then he left immediately. I would say even before that, yeah, he robbed them of a shit ton of money before he left too. He was terrible in Boston too. Yeah, yeah. You I remember mean, last time? Uh, you know, when Kyrie was on the t- team and they came, they came up to Milwaukee. What happened? Four, four, one, baby. We smacked that ass. We weren't even that good <laughs> in the playoffs yet. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was the uh, 2019. That was a gentleman's sweep that year too. Boston won Game One of that series, and then Bucks won four in a row. Oh, yeah, I remember Giannis, he had a really nasty dunk. He basically dunked from the elbow, dude, on Al Horford. I remember that dunk. Who the hell is, yep. is, it? Um, is it? Hubie Brown, right? That's was the it the Giannis caught a body? Yeah, yeah, Hubie Brown yep. was talking. He goes, whoa! He said, sorry, Hubie. He was like, no, no, it's all good, it's all good. And I was just, just like, oh, my God. Giannis does something every game where you're just like, yeah, humans shouldn't do that. That seems... It's illegal. <laughs> um, God, as far as Ben Simmons is concerned, I, I, with it being a potential mental health thing, I do want to read about it first before yeah. I make a judgment. Like, I know a lot of people are dragging him, and mm-hmm. I will say that as far as a back injury is concerned, if it's just back soreness, like, Brooke Lopez had literal back surgery. Do you want to hear what I heard about Simmons? This is an actual quote I heard on first take. He said that he doesn't feel mentally strong enough to be out there. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's stressing out, which is putting extra stress on his back. So you're telling me that you have so much anxiety about playing a game you get paid millions of dollars for that your back hurts? Listen, bud, my back hurts every freaking morning when I wake up to go pull pallets of soda. I can't tell my boss I don't want to go in because I'm, I have anxiety and it's, it's, it's stressing me out and my back hurts. Imagine telling your boss that. Are you serious, dude? No. He's not getting a pass from me. I don't care. He's not. Ben and, Simmons. You know, and that's something where, like, you're in the NBA. Like, you can play on a minutes restriction. 
if you say, you know, I can only play like five yeah. minutes at a time and my back gets sore, like start the game, play five minutes, sit for five, then go play five and then sit for five. Like you, like <clears throat> the, the Nets needed something, anything to help them in that series. Like Ben Simmons for, for what he is and what he lacks. He's a good passer. He's a good facilitator and he's a good defender. He's a very good defender. I'll give him that. You don't, you don't think that the Nets could have used that against the Celtics? Uh, just a little bit. Probably, probably could have used him on Tatum a little bit, especially with his length. Or when Jalen Brown decided to just get hot and score like, like 15 straight. Like, Jalen Brown had some plays, dude. Yeah. Ben Simmons could have helped. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's – like, I don't want to comment on it too much just because I, I don't know the situation, but – you know, if it is just a thing where it's like, you know, I was worried my back was going to hurt, so my back hurts because I was worried about my back hurting, it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say that I don't care about mental health, but in some ways, I feel like it's a cop-out now. Like, yeah, I agree. It's and, a, an excuse, it's a, yep. Yeah, like, like he's just trying to be like, yeah, yeah, my mental health, like, my mental health. Like, I hear that all the time now. Like, you hear that all the time in the news when somebody does something crazy. Oh yeah, he's he's pleading insanity. Of course you are, because what you did was freaking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so hit me with your your second power pair player. Oh yeah, we just went on a tangent about Ben Simmons. Yeah, we did. And Kyrie Irving. All right, so my second uh, power player uh, power pair player was Drew Holiday. I feel like Drew Holiday um, played very very well. Uh, he had twenty one four six and a half. Um, he was eighteen to thirty five fifty one percent and six of 46 percent on three. So. He was very, very good as well. He picked it up after Middleton went out. Yes, he did. All right, your turn. All right, I didn't know if you were going to respond to your dad or not. No, I mean, it does affect your body. I understand that, but he's paid millions of dollars and he gets stretched out before the games. I think you can I think you can get stretched out on the stress. <laughs> and you get fed good food, like you sleep in nice comfy beds. I just... Yeah. At some point, you got to... Either I'm not buying or get a surgery or something. I mean, my dad is the first one, and I'm not trying to come at my dad, but my dad is the first one to to really teach me about, you know, that they make too much freaking money, you know, and then that's a whole different conversation in itself. But when you make that much money, and now you're trying to plead that, oh, I got anxiety in my back, hey, yeah, get get lost with that, dude. I'm not trying to hear that. <laughs> All right, so my second player I had in my power pair was Giannis. Um, it's it's kind of lost on people how well Giannis is playing in this series just because he does it so often. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like I said, like Jake and I said, he's gonna beat that thirty fifteen and five record that LeBron has right now. Um, he is might die it tonight and have it owned by the weekend. We'll see. But <laughs> right. in games two, three, and four, Giannis averaged twenty seven point six seven points, which included an eighteen point outing. He only played twenty nine minutes in. Mm-hmm. Averaged. 14 rebounds and 8.3 assists on 53.7% field goal shooting. And that 29-minute outing, he had a higher plus-minus than minutes played. That is so <laughs> stupid. <laughs> yeah. 29 minutes uh, plus 36. That's Woo. awesome. Oh, All that's, right. That's a great stat to rub in their face for later. Definitely right. got to save this. <laughs> All right. So what are you looking for? What are you looking for tonight? What am I looking for tonight? I'm um, looking for a lot of the same, man. Um, Giannis, they're going to come W. They, they can't stop you one-on-one. Yep. So they're going to dare people to shoot. They're going to 
They're the and Bobby Portis has to continue being aggressive in the first half. I wanted to start with that. Forgot to say that first. Bobby Portis continue being aggressive in the first quarter because when he comes out, when he comes off the bench, and he comes in, he's bringing that toughness, getting the crowd into it. That's gonna be a big thing. Uh, Giannis, just continue trusting your teammates. Let's continue hitting shots, moving the ball, and on defense, just don't be stupid. Okay. Yeah. You know, under, understand your positioning, box out, rebound the ball, and then let's let's look to push. So this is this is gonna sound really cheesy, but like literally just do everything you've already been doing. So you know the the Bulls are playing without Caruso and Levine. So I mean, if you know anybody who's a Bulls fan, they already have pre-programmed in their head that we lost because we didn't have Caruso and Levine. Yeah. As if as if the fact that you failed to reach 100 points in three out of the four games so far had no weight. The one game you broke 100, you had a 40-point score. So you needed a 40-point score to break 100, basically. Yeah, literally over a third of your points had to come from one player for you to break 100. And they had two other 20-point scores in that game. <laughs> so really think about that. All right. So my other things are to defend without fouling, continue forcing your rolls and left, and and if he's going up, because he's gonna want to shoot, he's I, I would take an over on DeRozan trying to shoot thirty shots tonight. Whoa, 30? 30. Uh. He took thirty-one shots in game two. I think it's not a far stretch of the imagination at all with no Caruso no and no Levine that he takes over thirty shots. Oh yeah, no no Levine. No. Caruso has kind of been the playmaker. Yeah, yeah. I would take over thirty. That's a smart bet, in my opinion. I don't know if you can bet that anywhere, but if 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 DeRozan shot attempts was set at twenty nine and a half or thirty and a half, I'm taking the over. Yeah, me too. The next is Tomahawk Dunk. Yeah, it was sick. <laughs> it was awesome. On uh, Luca Vildoza behind the back pass. That's gonna be Manu Ginobili two point right there. Oh my god. Oh Isaac <laughs> is is he just a role player? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Say. <laughs> But yeah, offensively, like Jake said, identifying the double teams and basically getting the ball moving out of them. Defensively, defend without fouling and just do what you do is me, basically all the keys that I have. Me and Isaac get each other, man. We're, we're, very, we're very petty. Me and Isaac get each other. I like you. <laughs> all right. Is there anything else you want to say about the Bucks besides the fact that they're winning the series tonight? No, I'm uh, looking forward to not having to talk to Chicago fans for a couple months. No, because we know we don't have to worry about the Oh, Cubs. no, no. You don't get to not talk to Chicago fans. They talk year-round. They talk so much shit, dude. Fucking Chicago Cubs fans <sighs> on Twitter. Literally just bragging about the history that they have. Like, cool, congratulations, your franchise is old. Yeah. I wasn't going to do this, but now we're doing it. So we're doing <laughs> Chicago to start. I have yet to have a single, one single positive interaction with a Cubs, Bears, or Bulls fan. Not one. They have to be a fan of all three, not just one of them, okay? Even if they're fans of one of them. I haven't had a pleasant interaction with a person who's a Cubs fan but likes the Packers and the Bucks. I've had it. never happened. I've had good conversations with a Bears fan. I'm actually still friends with a Bears fan I used to work with. But he's also not a complete moron, so there's that. That helps. (sighs) Okay, so... Oh, by the third? God damn. Jesus, Scott. And you get the, you get the, oh, we just Wrigley North. It's like, yeah, Chicago fans probably like coming here because the people are friendly and not trying to start drunken fights with their own freaking fan base. I mean, on top of that, we have a roof, so you're always comfortable. Yeah, and you don't, you don't have to have rainouts. 
<laughs> I just wanted to be a little petty right there. <laughs> I thought that was going to get you going again. Oh, we have so much history. Yeah, cool, great. All of it happened literally a millennium ago. Seriously, my great-grandmother doesn't freaking remember that shit, dude. <laughs> you, like, there's, Chicago has one title in the last, in literally in the 2000s. And then everything else has to go back to 98 or farther. And Scott, I've had this, I've had this, oh, I've said this a hundred times because it's just blatant ignorance and it's, you know, whatever Chicago fans need to tell themselves, whether you want to call it copium or whatever they want to make themselves feel better is that Milwaukee does have a world series. It happened when they were the Milwaukee Braves, but they do have a world series in 1957. The Milwaukee Braves won the world series. So Milwaukee has seen a world series. It's just when the Braves moved to Atlanta, that that championship technically goes with it because mm-hmm. it's that franchise. Even if you want to go and say the Brewers have never won a World Series. Yeah, it's been 52 years since they've been a franchise. they still got 56 to go to catch up to the World Series drought that the Cubs went through. Yep. Okay, let's talk about the Brewers now. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to let you have your thing, man. I was like, Tyler's going. I wasn't going to do it. But it's freaking Chicago. The shit gets me going because they're such, like, nah. if, if you oh. know any positive like any rational person that is a fan of a Chicago team anywhere, like point them in our direction. Like I would love to talk to one and like actually have one be like, yeah, you know, the Brewers have been pretty good the last three to four years. You know, the Bucks are yeah. great. The Bulls are kind of just starting to get there. You know, they struggled against the top teams and the Bears are, you know, rebuilding versus the Justin Fields is going to be the MVP. Oh, Wrigley North. Oh, you'll be lucky if the Bulls don't win in five. All that shit. It's just so dumb and annoying, and it's just, it's, yeah, like Scott said, living in 1985, like I said, if there was just one, just one Chicago fan that could be like, you know, I see what you're saying, or, yeah, that's well put, or you got a point there, I would thoroughly enjoy that. I should have got the name of the guy I sat next to at the, the Packers and Bears game, because, you know, I told you I was in a sea of Bears fans up up top. And they were all talking shit, except this one guy, I was literally, it was his girlfriend, and then it was him. And he actually had a brain. He was like, like you know what? The Bears are going to find a way to lose this game, but I'm okay because they've, put our, they've already put more points on the board than I expected. But he goes to the Bears-Packers game every year at Lambeau because he lives in Green Bay. And he's like, you know, I know we're rebuilding, and I know Justin's going to have his mistakes. And it was like, I actually had a real nice conversation with that guy. And I was actually talking nice about the Bears for a little bit, which made me feel weird. I felt like I was... I have an out-of-body experience. I was like, what's like you're happening stroke? to me? This guy is like the nicest guy ever. <laughs> but I should have got I his will, name. Okay, I will say, I went to a Predators-Blackhawks game in Chicago in 2016, and I sat next yeah. to Pleasant Blackhawks fans. Yeah. So I'll give them that. And last year, Courtney and I went to a couple Brewers games, and one of the games we went to was a Brewers, I think it was a Brewers-Pirates game, actually, but there were fans in town from Chicago, but they were White Sox fans. Okay. So farther away, so... White Sox and Blackhawks, I've, I guess I've had positive experiences there. See, but that's a much smaller sample size than any Cubs, Bears, and Bulls fans that I've dealt the, with. The problem is, everybody, we, we, as a society, we can say whatever the hell we want behind this screen because we know nothing's going to happen. But when we get face-to-face, there's going to be some actions if you say the wrong words, right? 
That's what the problem is. <sighs> Some aren't idiots. It's just rare, especially on Facebook. Bro, Facebook is so bad. I think Twitter is about to take over with Elon Musk. You know, behind that. Yeah, there's there's stupid people on Twitter too. I know there. I mean, hey, listen, man. We we live in a world with billions and billions of people. Um, a lot of them are going to be really fucking dumb. Plain and simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully everybody that's watching our show has something they can take away, and then you know, and and tell people be like, dude, I heard this really cool statistic on this Wisconsin sports show, and you you can pass that on to people. So hopefully we can help with that. So. Let's start with the Phillies. Let's start about game one. All right. Um, this was a 4-2 loss for the Brewers. Uh, I thought Peralta looked a lot better. You know, he had five, yep. five innings pitch, only gave up one run, three hits. Um, Ashby did not have a good outing. Tuna, third. Yeah. Um, he had five hits, gave up three of the four runs. Um, not a lot of offense to talk about, really. And that's kind of a trend for this week until we get to the game that happened. And last night, I mean, if you think about it, look, we had two, we had five, we had one, we had two, and then we had 12. It's like, what the hell happened? You finally you realize you're holding like a baseball bat at that point. Um, right. Willie, you know, he scored, he scored one run. He was one for three. Um, Willie Adamas is really the guy that I get most excited for on the Brewers. I, I love me some Willie Adamas. We are less than a month away from Willie Adamas Day. I, I will break out my Willie Adamas jersey <laughs> for that. Um, I got to say, I want to give credit for Andrew McCutcheon. Literally the first at-bat of the game, he took that at-bat 10 pitches and ended yeah. the at-bat in a double. Um, Willie Adamas had a single. This is where – this is a philosophy thing. So if you are the Brewers, you know you're having trouble scoring runs and you get a double and a single to start the game. I understand wanting to, wanting to hold the runner to try to score more runs potentially by not getting thrown out at home. But when you know you're struggling to score runs and get guys on the bases, when you have guys on the bases, mm-hmm. be aggressive. Like you, you got to try to be aggressive to score runs. If you don't, if you, you know, you try something aggressive like trying to run home, and you get thrown out, and you don't score a run. If you're not being aggressive and not getting hits, you're not scoring runs anyways. So this is there's a lot of a lot of discussion with the Brewers of what do they need to try to try to get offense going. When you get guys on base, be aggressive with them. Try to steal bases. Try to take extra bases. Force guys to make throws. It happened. Christian Yellett. This was, um, this was, this was in game two. So I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit. In the second game of the series, Willie Adams is on third. Christian Yelich is on second. There's one out. Christian Yelich ran towards second base, waited for the throw to get there, and he stopped. Yep. So he stopped at second, like in between first and second, basically trying to purposely get caught in a rundown. Just to, just to give Willie Adamas enough time to score. So Christian Yelich did that on purpose. And you know what happened? The throw trickled into center field. Mm-hmm. Willie Adamas scored easily, and Yelich got over to third base. So be aggressive. Force force guys to try to make plays. Because you might force a throwing error that allows everybody else to take an extra base. When you get guys on base and you're having trouble scoring, when you do have guys on base, be aggressive with them. Now, like Jake said, Freddie Peralta had a good outing. Outside of the the Bryce Harper double that he gave up, Freddie looked fantastic to me. Yeah, um, he did. Only had two walks. I'd still like to see fewer walks from this pitching staff as a whole, but six strikeouts. Um, <clears throat> Brad Boxberger gave up a couple hits after Ashby loaded the bases. Um, both had been very good, almost perfect up until this point of the season. Yep. Um, and, you know, guys aren't going to have 
good outings literally every single time for literally the entire season. We went through this a couple times last year where Box like Boxberger would have like um like seven good outings in a row. He'd give up three runs in a game and people were like, Oh, we gotta move Boxberger out of the seventh or the eighth or stop bringing Boxberger in. It's like he he gave up like no runs like his last seven outings. Yeah. It's, it's you can't you literally year, can't man. expect perfection for literally the entire season. Yeah. So man. Ashby and Boxberger had a little bit of struggles in this game, but you you take it on the shin and you move on. Um and, yeah, where, and where, are they, where are they from, Isaac? <laughs> hey, Isaac, would you rather have a plus 17 run differential in a series or three out of four wins? Uh, I know some people uh, that would choose the wrong answer. <laughs> Me too. Oh, God, I still can't wrap my head around how dumb that is. Okay. <laughs> so the Brewers only five hits. <laughs> only registered five hits in this game. Three of them came in the first three innings. They did draw five walks. Um, the the Brewers are Brewers do have pretty decent plate discipline as far as chasing pitches and drawing walks is concerned. That's where that's where I get into what I said last week, where I'd like to see the Brewers try to be aggressive earlier in counts. You get it does it depends on the depth chart. I bet it does. <laughs> uh, and hey, if you're fast, like it doesn't matter what else you suck at. Yeah. Hey, some people's kids, man. <laughs> Some people's kids. That's all. I, that's all I say. So the Brewers, the Brewers are good at drawing some walks, but that does bring me back to what I said last week, where if the Brewers are getting pitches to hit early, it, apparently it is the question to some people, Scott. Uh, <laughs> brag about run differential. Oh, you scored more runs. K, okay, we have more wins. Uh, gee, I wonder which one I'd choose. Um, <laughs> where the Brewers, if they're getting pitches to hit earlier in counts. Like, try to be aggressive. Like, I feel like we need to bring Carlos Gomez back so he'll start trying to hit home runs on the first pitch he sees. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what this made me feel like. Like, it seems like the Brewers have this philosophy of trying to drive up the starting pitcher's pitch count just to get to opposing teams' bullpens. Yeah. Like, try to try to jump on a guy early. Try to put seven runs up in the first inning and just smack him in the mouth and be like, okay, yeah, well, this game's over. We're just going to bunt for singles and make the other team mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the Raiders drafted a wide receiver just because he's fast. I, a lot of guys have been drafted because they're fast or signed because they're I mean, fast. But they like, drafted Jamarcus Russell because he could yeah. throw seventy yards from his knee, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scott, we had this discussion last week that it doesn't matter if you're fast if you're in the wrong place at the right time. Yep. Or if you're in the right place at the wrong time, or the wrong place at the wrong time, which is literally the worst of both worlds. Or if you're just running fast and you don't know where you're running, so you're just running fast. Yeah. If it. If you get there fast, like, yeah, that's cool. You're still not in the right place if you're fast. But, um, <laughs> right. yeah, you still got to be able to get to the right place, even if you're fast. Um, so let's talk about this second game of this series. I already talked about the Yelich thing. Um, Yelich stopped to try to give Willie Adamas enough time to score. If mm-hmm. uh, if Willie Adamas scores before Yelich gets tagged out, the run counts. Um, and like we said, the throw ended up trickling into center field. Um this this was this was a bummer for Adrian Hauser because I felt that this should have been an error. Um, Colton Wong trying to make a play over his head. It bounced off his glove and fell into right field. Two things with that. One, I do feel that that should have been an error and not count as an earned run against Adrian Hauser. And nope. two, Hunter Renfro has to make that play. It, it, plain and simple, it's, it's easier for the outfielder coming in 
than it is for the outfielder going back on a ball to try to make that play. Every single time. Hunter Renfro, that ball was up in the air long enough. Hunter Renfro needs to go get that ball. And even when it fell in, that should have been an error and not counted as an earned run against um, Adrian Hauser. Hunter Renfro did make up for it. He had three hits um, and a monster home run in the sixth inning. Um, and then Trevor Gott and Devin Williams each pitched a scoreless inning, and Josh Hader stayed perfect after this game. Um, Adrian Hauser pitched six innings, three strikeouts, and a walk, three earned runs. Like I said, two of them probably could have been attributed to an error, but it yep. was scored as a hit, so that is what it is. Um, Isaac, I do remember the Bears have fast wide receivers, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not in the right spot. You have to be fast and at least a little bit smart. Yeah, Scott, I think he's just shaking off the cobwebs yet. He'll get going. I mean, he did have the Wisco Fanatics play of the week, so he got that going for him. He did his Derek Jeter impression last. No, that was there. nasty. That was that was nice. So he's, yeah, we had, we had a hard time picking the play of the week. Far. We had a yeah. hard time, man. It was between him and, and Woodruff. That Woodruff play we already posted, so that was kind of the reason we went with the the Wong play. All right, what did you did you want to say anything about that second game of that um, series? I really like Got. First of all, he's got good stuff. I could just. That all day, so lame. Um, Peterson finally <laughs> I approve of that one. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't. I know you didn't. Uh, Peterson finally got an RBI. He's kind of been struggling this year, but uh, Jace Peterson finally got an RBI. Uh, Hater got his seventh save of the year, and I really thought that Renfro was really, really good. Three for four, two runs. Um, that was much needed. I feel like. Yep. Oh, Willie Adonis. He is he is sweet everywhere. Even when he wasn't hitting, he was playing good defense, but. We're gonna get he's, to Willie Dominic. He gets he gets his own game this week. He does. All right, let's talk. This is my this is actually my favorite game to talk about this week. The, it's one the third game. game of the Phillies series. Yeah, and uh, talking about people complaining, I saw people complaining like, "Oh, is this the Bryce Harper special?" He, he was mic'd up yet, freaking idiots. That's what up. I said. He, it's Sunday night baseball. They have a player mic'd up. It's the MVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're gonna talk to him a little bit, like. It, it, right. <laughs> oh God! I, if I had um, a dollar for every time I saw that, or if I had a dollar for every time I saw that, and every time I saw somebody complain about Angel Hernandez, like I'd be retired right yeah. now. And, and doing this show would be my full time job. Hell yeah, man! Um, I just want to say that Eric Lauer was absolutely freaking filthy, dude. Um, six innings pitch, five hits, no runs. Obviously, the Phillies scored zero runs as a team. He had thirteen strikeouts and he had seventeen swings and misses on first. Pitch strikes, dude. That's crazy, bro. Um, it's it's unfortunate that Angel Hernandez is such a topic of discussion for this because, ain't like Eric Lauer through the thirteen strikeouts, like you said, ten of them were swinging strikeouts. So it's not like Angel Hernandez is just ringing them up for him. And yes, James, I strongly agree that Angel Hernandez is trash. He's really bad. Uh, yeah. Taking over for Joe West is the worst umpire in the Major League Baseball, but. Um, you know, the announcers, it is what it is with the announcers, whatever. That's ESPN. But the, oh, my God, all the complaining about why they were talking. I don't think they were that bad. I really don't think they were that bad. I it, mean, wasn't, we, we, it wasn't bad enough to be distracting from the game, in my opinion. I mean, we, we had to listen to Lisa Byington all season, who wasn't horrible either. But, but if you can go through Lisa Byington with the Bucks, and I only say that because we had such a legendary broadcasting crew for over 30 years. So a little change is going to hurt. but. Yeah. I don't think ESPN was that bad. They know their stuff. So, 
the Brewers only managed four hits, and it was kind of yeah, it was only four base runners in this game too. Um, but they did end up hanging the loss on four former Brewer Corey Knebel. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this game was all about Eric Lauer for me. Um, he gets out of a base week. loaded, bases loaded, only one out in the fifth inning. Gave up zero runs to work out of that. In addition to all the strikeout stuff. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm going to talk about Eric Lauer again in a little bit, but uh, let's talk about the the one stupid random Giants game that they had in between going from Pennsylvania to Milwaukee <sighs> for one game and then back to Pennsylvania for the Pirates series that started last night. But let's talk about the Giants game. First of all, literally the dumbest thing of all time, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Burns was dealing, man. Six and a third. He had 11 strikeouts. Uh, got, got, got. That's what happened. Got, got his, man. He got, got. Uh, he, had a, he gave up a two-run homer uh, in the eighth inning. Uh, Willie comes back and like a freaking straight-up G hits a solo shot to tie it. You know, I'm watching the game and they hit the two-run homer and Jock Peterson is just talking his yeah, trash. Fans, yep. And then all of a sudden Willie comes up and I'm like, that's fucking right, baby. We got Willie, baby. And then the next inning, Cousins gave up a homer and it was like, yeah, that that hurts. Um, Cousins, I, I had it in here. Cousins is off to a slow start, but which Brewers pitcher besides Josh Hader didn't get off to a slow start? Yeah, in the bullpen, yeah. Like, literally all of them did. Burns had a slow first start. Woodruff had a slow first start. Pretty, like, his second start wasn't that great. Hauser's had yeah. some okay starts. Like, Lauer's been, Lauer's been pretty awesome so far this year, but a lot of the Brewers pitchers have had some slow starts. I agree. It's It's not random. Like, Something like the shorter spring training probably had an effect on that. Like Jake Cousins has some nasty stuff. He does. Well, we'll get he'll get back into form. Not at all worried. No, um, I like that we're winning. Um, we're one of the most teams winning the most games while everybody's kind of shaking the cobwebs off. Oh, that's yeah. going to set us up for later in the year. Yep, I agree. That's a good way to go look at it. Um, let's talk about the Willie Adamas game. All right, man, I'm ready. Oh, Willie Adamas, dude, four for five, seven RBIs, two home runs. He absolutely smoked those baseballs, by the way. Yeah, he did. Um, but Woody, he had four innings pitched, seven hits, four earned, six Ks. Uh, Brett Suter had a good outing, two innings pitched. Uh, Milner came in for a third. Arena, uh, two and a third. And Josh Hader only had to pitch a third of an inning, but he ended up getting his ninth save of the year. But Willie Adamas, dude, holy cow, man. I I know you got some extra stats. So I'm ready to hear that. I got lots of stuff. All right. So Scott, yes, so that's that's what that's our point. You know, the bullpen isn't going to be perfect. That's what we were talking about with Boxberger and Ashby in the first game of the Philly series. Mm-hmm. Guys are going to string together a bunch of good games, have one bad game, and people are going to be like, "Oh my god, why isn't he still perfect like he has been for the last two weeks?" Like, you just it's it's a bummer, but you got to kind of work through it. Like, no team is going 162 and 0. Literally none of them. Um, so looking at this game, like Jake said, Willie Adamas, the two home runs. First one he hit was a two-run shot to straightaway center on an 0-2 count. Yep. Like Willie's been struggling with some strikeouts. He gets to an 0-2 count and absolutely smokes a home run to straightaway center. Um, Brandon Woodruff looked great. Jace Peterson, I want to give some credit for a defensive play that he made. So there's a ball that gets hit off of Brandon Woodruff and it starts trickling towards the third base side's dugout. Um the Pirates dugout. 
And Jace Peterson made a slide and basically stuck his leg out so the ball didn't roll into the dugout. If I think it, I don't remember if it was Newman batting. If he touches first base before that ball rolls into the dugout, he automatically gets second base. Interesting. Because if, if the ball goes out of play, everybody gets another base. So that's a heads-up play by Jace Peterson that kept him at first base. It didn't matter, mm-hmm. unfortunately, because the Pirates not once but twice got a like, perfect hit where the ball bounced off the bounced off the wall and like into the middle of left field instead of just being a normal grounded hit mm-hmm. and it allowed Newman to score from first base so it didn't really matter but the Pirates got that freaking twice last night um, mm-hmm. and the second one that Willie Adamas hit was just an absolute rocket um, like a no doubt home run and in between there he had a, a second ball like the second at bat he had was a like a scorched line out and the third one that he hit was a double down the left field line um, so Willie Adamas had a career high seven RBI. Tyrone Taylor smoked a triple last night too. And the last thing I want to say is Andrew McCutcheon stole his 200th base last night of his career. There you go. Um, and yes, yeah, Scott, it's the same with Hader when he blows a save. If it happens, like if it happens when it happens, he's nine for nine so far. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it it is what it is. It's gonna happen. Um. And as far as Devin Williams is concerned, he's he's another one of the guys. Like, guys have gotten off some slow starts. Devin Williams has also done some nasty stuff. I mean, on top of, for Williams, on top of the short spring training, he's coming back from an injury. So that's that's yeah. double tough, in my opinion. Yeah, which which people need to move on from. The yeah. Still giving him shit for something that happened six months ago. Like, it's time to move on. I agree. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying, Scott. His second at bat was a line out that was smoked too. So Jake and I are gonna do we're gonna do this. We're gonna do our power pair similar to how we do with the Bucks, but with the with baseball being a little bit different. Um, when Jake and I do our power pair for the Brewers, we're gonna pick one pitcher and one position player, and that's how mm-hmm. we're gonna do our power pair. So Jake, hit me with your first one. I don't care if you want to do your pitcher or your position player first. But uh, hit me with your first well. one. I'll do the position player because I'm pretty sure we have We're going to have the same one, yeah. <laughs> um, so mine is Willie Adamas. Um, he went 8 for 19, which is a f- over 400 batting average. He scored five total runs. He had nine RBIs and three home runs this week. One was a game tire. Obviously, we just talked about that. And then he had two yep. yesterday. So Willie Adamas had a really, really great week. His batting average went like this. Whoop. He went up 45 points last night. Yeah, yeah it, it went up very much. Now he looks like a legit batter. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I have Willie Adamas too for my position player. He's three home runs in two games, just absolutely blowing the doors off of his slump, and then his career high seven RBI last night. The Willie Adamas game, that's what it is for this week. Um, and then, like we said, he's playing good defense, so it is possible with the Brewers. You know, the Brewers have times where guys struggle and you know they struggle offensively, but they play really good defense. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. He struggled offensively, like literally the entire season last year, except for like two games. But he played really great defense. So when Jake and I do our power pairs, we say position player, not batter, because we can take defense into account. You know, if mm-hmm. if Colton Wong goes one for ten next week, but has like seven web gems at second base, like throw Colton Wong in there for your yeah. for your power pair position player. Like it's we want to kind of leave that open. Um, and when we talk about pitchers, I'll let Jake do his first. It doesn't have to be a starter. So yeah, um, I went with Joshua Ronald Hader. Uh, I wanted to add the middle name in there. Tyler told me I shouldn't, but I did 
anyway, I I just said that Josh Hader shouldn't tell people that yeah, it's um, Ronald. Yeah, he he just like you said, he's the only one that didn't get off to a slow start. And I feel like when when Hader comes in, it gives Brewers fans kind of a sigh of relief. Like, okay, Josh is gonna come in, he's gonna get yeah. three outs. You you feel like he's gonna get like three strikeouts, one deep fly to, yep, or one part of the outfield that right doesn't give up homers. Game. Yeah, right. Um, he he had gave up zero hits this week. So that was really the main reason that I picked him. My dad picks Burns. Not a bad Corbin pick. Burns is a good dude. This is tough. This is going to be tough. It's to the pitching is power player. P- it's going to be hard. super hard. Yeah. So I picked Eric Lauer. I see Scott picked Lauer as well. I picked Eric Lauer. He's he's the one that shocked me the most. So it's it's unfortunate for Corbin Burns that he was so dominant that I'm used to it now. But Eric Lauer, with the way that he's pitching, aside from Josh Hader, I would say Eric Lauer is off to the second best start for the Brewers as far as pitchers are concerned. Um, so far in his first three starts, Eric Lauer has pitched 16.1 innings, has a 220 ERA. <laughs> so this is, this is some nut stuff. It's a little inflated because of his last game, but a 12.7 strikeout per nine innings. <laughs> We're getting into the big three strikeouts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and a 34.3 strikeout percentage. Jesus Christ. That's disgusting for a guy who induces soft contact to get outs. He's striking out 34% of the batters he's Jesus. facing. <laughs> I don't know how Hader oh, would have held It's, you know, that's how he started was a, was as a starter. Uh, and then he got moved into the bullpen just because it seemed to fit him better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would have been fine. Like they used him like the first year that they moved him into the bullpen. They used him as like a three inning closer sometimes. So he'd do like three like three inning saves where he'd pitch like the seventh, eighth, and ninth. And then um Hader and his agent basically said, like, hey, we just wanted to do one inning saves traditional closer role. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he just basically became the full time closer. So um Josh Hader did kind of have a, a transition into being, you know, a one inning closer, but um it works for him now and, and I'm enjoying it, so I'm not gonna complain about it. Plus the Brewers have found some great starters, and I have I have way more stuff about Eric Lauer yet. I'm not done with Eric Lauer. Oh yes, I get to say my slogan, so I'm ready now. All right, <laughs> slogan? Yeah, holy camoli. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> yeah, your catchphrase. So yes, yeah, the 13 strikeouts against Philadelphia, who is basically built to beat teams with their hitting. Like they have, um, they have Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, but. <clears throat> I mean, the Phillies went and got Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, so they're going to try to beat teams with their bats. Mm-hmm. He worked out of some really tough spots. Like I said, the bases loaded one-out jam in the fifth inning of that game on Sunday. Um, yes, we had Knable. He played for the Dodgers for a little bit. Now he's on the Phillies. Um, so here we go. Eric Lauer is only the second left-handed pitcher to strike out 13 batters in a game for the Milwaukee Brewers. The only other one was Teddy Higuera. You might have heard of him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was only the sixth time in Milwaukee Brewers history that a player has gone six innings, 13 strikeouts, and no earned runs. Corbin Burns has three of them. Corbin's so good, dude. <laughs> He's insane. Corbin's so, so good, dude. Corbin Burns three times, Mike Fires, Dave Bush, and now Eric Lauer, only the sixth time in Brewers history, Mike six innings, Fires. 13 strikeouts, and no runs. Now, since last June, so since last June 21st, this is Eric Lauer. 18 games, he's 7-2, and two, 
97 innings pitched, 99 strikeouts, only 31 walks, with a 2.23 ERA. Whoa. <laughs> since, <laughs> since June 27th last year, he is tied for third in games of five innings pitched and one earned run or less. He's tied for third. He has 10 games of five innings pitched and one earned run or less. If the Corbin Burns, we're going to go crazy. <laughs> Corbin Burns and Julio Urias of the Dodgers both have 11. Oh, my God. And Eric Lauer has 10. Five oh, innings pitched and one earned run or less. He's close. He's the number five starter on the Brewers. That's crazy to me, man. He might be number two on half the teams in the league. Yeah. And he'd be number three on the rest of them. I'm not ready to say Eric Lauer for the Cy Young. Maybe. maybe I think he's saying our pitching staff. Because we have, like, reliever of the year and we have Cy Young. Last year, Corbin Burns won it. Woodruff finished, like, fourth, I think. Fifth, I think. Fourth or fifth. And Peralta finished, like, eighth. Yeah, that's that's insane. (laughs) So, that's, that's my spiel on Eric Lauer. He's, since June of last year, he's been insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah, he's, he's off to a great start. So, yeah. like I said, besides Josh Hader, I would say he's off to the second best start on the team. Watch, watch Lauer continue this up until the All Star break. He'll make the All Star game, dude. He watch. might. Uh, and you know, the thing, I, like I brought this up, I think two weeks ago, Eric Lauer has increased his velocity and his horizontal movement on his pitches since being with Milwaukee. Yeah, he did. He talked about that. He he went up um, three miles per hour. He went up on a, um, his cutter. He throws a cutter. When he was uh, brought here in 2020, his cutter average was 87 miles an hour. Two years later, it's 92. He's yeah, raised that's... the speed of his cutter by five miles an hour in two years. I don't. We have a really good pitching coach, man. Yeah, we do. <laughs> it's like the offensive line coach for the Packers. You just know that's that it's going to work. That's a very solid comparison. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter where they come from. The Brewers will find them and turn them into good ones. Yeah, I don't. I know. wrote. I wrote an article this morning about the uh, the Brewers trading Trent Grisham and Zach Davies for Eric Lower and Luis Urias. Mm-hmm. Oh, that what a trade, great trade has for us. like like twenty twenty. It was in favor of the Padres. Like Trent Grisham won the Gold Glove in the shortened season. Yeah, and now it's like Luis Urias had a better season than Trent Grisham did last year, and now yeah. Eric Lower is a freaking stud. And Zach Davies has like a 540 ERA, and he's been on three teams in three years. Yeah. So that trade has definitely swung into favor of the Brewers. Um, I mean, I don't see why not. It's just voted on by the fans, right? The Brewers actually had five pitchers in the All-Star game last year. Or was if you consider. I'm pretty sure it was five. Yeah, including relievers, yeah. Yeah, because it was had... it was Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, Hayter, and Devin Williams. Yep. Yeah, that's that's insane, dude. <laughs> so the Brewers pitching staff is pitching against the AL All Stars. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> this year it's just going to be the Brewers, Mets, and Dodgers. There's not going to be pitchers from any other NL team. I didn't yeah. know that Adam Senovich is from Wisconsin. That's awesome. Yeah, I knew that. I knew he's from Wisconsin. Sweet. All right, looking ahead for the Brewers, <clears throat> they got two more against Pittsburgh tonight. It's going to be Aaron Ashby pitching. Actually, that game starts in like ten minutes. Um, and Freddie Peralta tomorrow. And then they start a three-game homestand at home with the Cubs. Um, and they start a three-game home series with the Cubs. 
Uh, Friday is going to be Hauser versus Kyle Hendricks. So we'll see if the Brewers can get a little bit of revenge there. Um, Eric Lauder, Eric, Eric Lauder, Eric Lauer, my guy on Saturday. And then it's Corbin Burns on Sunday. Um, <clears throat> then looking after that, they have off on Monday and they start a three game series with the Reds on Tuesday. Uh, looks like Brandon Woodruff's probably going to be starting there. Um, two other things. One, Victor Caratini is on the COVID-19 list. Um, don't know how long he's going to be out. Maybe a week, maybe 10 days. I'm not sure what the rules are for the MLB on the COVID thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Luis Urias is starting his rehab in A. Um, he's two for nine in his first couple of games. Um, he has a walk and, and a double. Um, and hopefully he can come back in and, and give the offense a jolt, especially with Jace Peterson not doing that great to start off the season. And he'll help defensively. So hopefully Luis Urias can give a jolt to the offense. Um, and would know, be just, nice. I'll provide some consistency would be nice. Would be uh, nice. I will say I do think he was the Brewers. I I think he was the Brewers' second best hitter last year. You can make an argument for that. He was second in home runs, he was second in doubles, he was second in RBI. Yep. Um he was like fifth in average. So I would I would make the case that Luis Urias was the Brewers' second best hitter last year. I can see that. I definitely can. All right. You have anything else Brewers related? Nope, the Brewers are just good at pitching and bad at hitting. That's just been the story the last couple of years. So yeah. if they can create some consistency and, you know, like you said, maybe jump on some pitchers early in the count. Let's try to be definitely, aggressive. Definitely stuff that can help. All right. So we have two things that we want to talk about with the Packers. They're going to switch notebooks over to my draft notebook. And Jake and I wanted to talk about what our perfect draft looks like for the Packers. So... <laughs> This this is tough because Jake and I we've this is the second year we've done really 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 uh, heavy in depth um, draft prep. Um, uh-huh. I counted my pages on Thursday after we did the live show, and I have twenty four pages of of draft notes. And we didn't even we didn't even do quarterbacks, cornerbacks, or running backs. Running backs, and obviously not kickers and punters. Uh, we did, yeah, we didn't do kickers. We looked up Matt Areza, who's got a freaking insane leg. But, yeah, he's he's um, got a boot, man. Yes, Scott, I do think the the hitting will come around. I don't think – I'm not expecting the, pack, the like the Brewers to be top five in hitting or anything. But No. Um, it's kind of like the Packers special teams. That's if, exactly if just, what I was just going to say. If they get to the middle of the road, we'll be okay. Yep. With the elite pitching and the very good defense, like the Brewers will be a playoff team. Agreed. All right. So – how do you want to do this? You want to go round by round, or you want to just list your guys off and, and tell me why you want them? We'll go round by round. I feel like that's the best best way to All do right. it. So we are going to live stream during the first round tomorrow night. Um, I'll be streaming it, so if I'm like 10 seconds behind, like you'll have to forgive me or just yeah. pause yours so that you're with me. I, I, I don't <laughs> know how I'm going to handle mine because uh, I don't have cable downstairs in my basement, so no, I might just not. flip it on the iPad. Uh, my other option would was doing it in the living room because everybody would be asleep except my stepson. So I, I don't know. Do I want to let my stepson be a fool on live? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. All right. So Jake and I are going to live stream during the first round. So whoever yeah. the Packers pick, whether it's not a wide receiver and people freak out because it's not a wide receiver or whatever, um, Jake and I will talk about it. We're going to talk about who the first round picks are. Um, so hit me with it. Let me know who your first two first-round picks are. All right, so uh, we didn't do any trades. We just 
but we stayed right where we right. are. Uh, yep. I know there's a lot of chatter. Packers moving up, moving down. Other not teams do looking to move down. We're just going to stay right where, we're, picks. Yeah. right where we're at, take the yep. best available in our opinion. So right away in the first round, I took two of my favorite players in the entire draft because I think that they're perfect fits for the Packers. At pick 22, I picked wide receiver out of Georgia, George Pickens. He's a true X receiver. He wins one-on-ones. He catches with his hands. He's physical at the point of attack. And he just looks like he fits with Green Bay. He, he can run block. and He's just everything I think that Rodgers would love in a wide receiver. And then I picked 28. I picked one of my early favorites, and he stayed one of my favorites. He's one of Tyler's favorites as well. I picked Logan Hall. Uh, this guy is – you put him next to Kenny Clark, seriously. Um, we're going to have some problems up front. He's going to wash away all those runs. He's a violent guy. Uh, Gianna Helmet. Yeah, and, we and you know, that was one of my other points is we drafted a guy out of Georgia last year, and that worked out pretty well. Um, yeah. But, anyways, you know, I picked, picked Logan Hall. I just think, again, that he's a perfect fit. He fills a need. And if there's a way that we can get Dean Lowry to be the, the, the fourth defensive lineman, all of a sudden we have depth at that position yeah. that we haven't had for a very long time. I mean, competence on, on yeah. a key line across the entire line would be great, much less depth. Agreed. <clears throat> and don't sleep on my man Jack Heflin. I'm really hoping he makes the team this year. I'm pulling for him. I hope he does too. I'll, I'll cheer for anybody. He's got a motor. I mean, that's that's what I like about him. He doesn't quit on plays ever. Um, so, my first two picks, and I have I have Drake London at 22. If I had a dollar for every time I saw he's not going to fall to 22, or he's not yeah. going to fall to 22, or Olave's not going to fall to 22, or there's no way Trevor Penning makes it to 22, or there's no way Devontae Wyatt makes it to 22. Listen, there's only 21 picks for the Packers pick. Not everybody can get picked before the Packers pick. Somebody's going to fall. <laughs> Somebody's got to fall. And In let me tell you something. Draft, it, it's Drake London. He is getting mocked to the Jets at number 10. The Jets are in talks with the 49ers to trade for Debo Samuel. The 49ers are not drafting Drake London. They are drafting a corner if they get the 10th pick. I can promise you that. So if that or, trade goes down, London Kyle is falling. Hamilton if he falls to 10. Or Kyle Hamilton. Right. So... Either way, Drake London has a chance to go to 22, okay? We don't know what the hell is going to happen, so stop saying that. This is, our, this is our perfect ideal draft. Yeah, this is like if, if everything team worked team out perfectly, this is what we would I would be pick. perfectly happy with Trevor Penning falling to 22 and the Packers <laughs> getting a locked and loaded starting right tackle. F and A, buddy. F and A. <laughs> um, so I have Drake London. He's huge. Absolutely monstrous. Like you throw him the ball, you throw a 50 50 ball, and Drake London's coming down with it. Yep. So when, you know, when Rodgers is in a position where he's in trouble, you know, on a third and goal, and, you know, you just need to get rid of the ball, like you throw it, you can throw it out of bounds, which Rodgers does. He does that to avoid, you know, throwing interceptions and turnovers. But you throw the ball where only Drake London can get it, which Aaron Rodgers is perfectly best in the league. Best. Yeah. I was, yeah. Um, Putting it where only he can get it, like you, you give yourself a better chance to score in those situations. I agree. And then I have Logan Hall at twenty-eight as well. Um, like Jake said, we you know, we did a really early preliminary. Like you know, these are some of the positions, and this is one guy that we're looking at. And Logan Hall was our first guy that we really liked. Um, mm-hmm. Looked at some other guys. Like I do really like um, Josh Pascal from Kentucky. Spoiler alert! But Logan Hall does seem to be crawling into that late first round and Logan Hall will be my ideal 28. Now, before we move on, let's make a pie bet right now. 
Okay. You pick two players. I pick two players that you think the Packers will end up taking. If you get both right, I get a pie. If I get both right, you get a pie. Well, I saw a report today that the Packers did extensive research on George Pickens and Jelani Woods, and I have both of them on my perfect draft. So those are the only two players. first round because we're streaming live streaming the first only round. first round only, only first, first round. round. They're not taking Pickens in the first round. They're they're hoping that he falls to the second round, which he might. Right, he oh, might. Yep. Oh god. I'll All give right. you my two. My two that I think the Packers are going to end up taking. I think it's going to be Trevor Penning and Traylon Burks. You think they're going to take Penning and Burks, huh? Okay. I don't. I don't necessarily. I, I'm not sold on Burks, so I kind of hope that doesn't happen. But at least if those two do get picked, you'll get a pie in the face, and I'll have that to go off. Okay, I wrote that down. That's Tyler's. I'm going to pick Chris Olave. Um, and I was going to take Green, but I don't want to do the same with Scott because the Packers actually do. <laughs> Packers actually do love him. Um, yep. I'll pick. Uh, Oh, God damn it. I'm just going to take Green because that's who I think. Um, a lot of <laughs> mocks are actually having Kenyon Green fall to Green Bay at 28, and that would be a great pick. Um, he, like, like we said in, in our, our offensive line episode, he plays four positions, dude. And Packers love that. So I'm actually I am going to take Olave and Green. If Olave falls to 22, Brian Gunacus might fall <laughs> running up to the – Dude, if, to those the, to the podium. Two, if those two happen, like, I will happily take the pie in the face. So oh, I'm yeah. at, like, a win-win-win-win situation here in the first round, and we're going to have fun streaming the first round. So we got That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to invite some of our buddies, and we're just going to talk some football, be some dudes, uh, and just, just talk football, Guys man. being dudes. Yeah, man. Hey, and that's, that's my favorite time, <laughs> just guys being dudes, baby. At like well, I mean, we're gonna stream during the whole first round, so we'll have the stream going the whole time, not just for the Packers picks, so we can talk about other stuff that's going on mm-hmm. uh, in between there and up until we get to the Packers picks. So we'll have fun with that. Um, Bernard Raymond has. Is, is she um, sure about that? Is she sure about that? Suns in six, like they're gonna lose in six, like they might. That's definitely definitely happened. Better hope Chris Paul doesn't have four points again. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right, hit rub me with in. your two second round picks. Oh yeah, rubbing it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so my my two second round picks. Uh, one, I had to make my buddy happy, and I think that uh, it would be a really really good pick, uh, especially for the value at fifty nine. Uh, for fifty three, I picked Bernard Raymond, um, offensive tackle. I wanted to shore up that offensive line because we just paid our quarterback a lot of money, and we like to run the football. Um, so we take all that stuff into consideration. Raymond would be a great right tackle for us. Um, and then 59, I picked Alec Pierce. Um, this guy, he's just a freaking physical specimen, man. He does everything. Uh, go back to our wide receiver episode and, and watch that, man, because we had a lot of great stuff on Alec Pierce. He's big. He's fast. He's strong. And, you know, like we just talked about Aaron Rodgers. He can make you look good. Aaron Rodgers is the weapon. So if you have a guy that is big, physical, and has all those attributes, and you could be like, listen, I'm going to throw it right here. You, all you got to do is put your hands up and catch it. He's going to be pretty good at that, in my opinion. We don't talk about that. Yes, we do, Chelsea. This is our show. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell me what to do. If, if the second round happens the way that I want it to, I want Jalen Peter, who I've liked for like two months, because yep. he's he's like a, he's like that hybrid type of safety where he can 
kind of play like a linebacker or safety. Um, and he can play a little bit of deep coverage too. Um, and he lays the wood. Jalen Peter, he lays the wood. Yeah, he does. I'm sure all the girls at Baylor know all about that. <laughs> I had to. Uh, and then I have I have my guy, Alec Pierce, at 59. I Ever since I started researching him, like all I get from him are Jordy Nelson vibes. Jordy Nelson yep. was one of my favorite Packers ever. Alec Pierce reminds me of him so much. Um, he's got a great size and speed combination. He's great at making contested catches. He had a catch. It was, I think it was against, was it against Notre Dame. He goes to make a catch in between a cornerback and a safety, and he drags his foot to slow himself down and mm-hmm. go make a contested catch in between the corner and the safety so that he doesn't get just annihilated by the safety. Like, that toe drag to slow himself down there, like, that's such a crazy, like, frame of mind to be in as that's happening while you're looking at a football that you're going to have to go catch before you get speared by that guy. It's it's a really – it's it's a, an awareness. It's a savvy move. It's a veteran move. It's, it's, oh, it's, 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 so it's all of it. Good. It's all of it. And the other thing to note here is that when Matt LaFleur was the quarterback's coach of Notre Dame in 2014, his um, offensive coordinator was the head coach of Cincinnati now. Oh, so there's a connection there between Matt LaFleur and Cincinnati. That's part of the reason Josiah DeGuara got drafted was because the Cincinnati coach was like, hey, this guy, he's he's going to turn into something for you. Um Josiah yeah. DeGuara might turn into a fullback. I mean, we'll see what happens there. But, yeah. um, you know, Jake and I have, have put some stock in a tight end uh, in this draft as well. But uh, there is a connection there with Cincinnati and Matt LaFleur. And to me, Alec Pierce just makes so much sense for the Packers that he's going to end up getting drafted by the Cowboys or the Bears just to make me sad, uh, which is the downside of this of doing all this draft prep is we fall in love with these guys that we like and we mm-hmm. want to see him end up on the Packers. And then they get drafted by other teams. But what it does for us when we do this research and we present it is it helps us learn the league better. And I feel that after last year's draft prep that I know a lot more about the league as a whole than I did from just watching Packers games and playing fantasy football. And Madden. Like, I used to to legitimately, like, learn stuff about rookies from playing Madden. Like, I'm not even afraid to say that because that was the original point of the game is to teach kids football. Um. But All we're right, moving round. on to uh, round three here. Uh, the rest of this draft, I really just picked my favorite players available. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, round three was Troy Anderson. Um, this guy, uh, kind of like Alec Pierce, he's on the defensive side, though, but he did play some offensive side of football. Um, played quarterback, played running back. This guy lines up inside, outside. He's going to be a great linebacker. Right. My vision for Troy Anderson is a guy that can come help, take away the middle of the field. We we <laughs> Listen to this, man. So we shored up the offensive line. We took two wide receivers. So we took a defensive lineman that's going to help Kenny create pressure and, and crush all of that stuff inside, all that weak stuff inside. Now we got Troy Anderson flying around with our fast DBs around the middle of the field because he has 4-4 speed. And there's just no, nowhere to go. We have a top five defense after round three. He's a perfect 10, baby. Perfect 10 on the RAS scores. Um, Scott, to answer your question about Anderson, I don't think he falls past the fourth round. No, no way in hell. Uh, no he way. also played quarterback. I read today that there are some teams interested in the fact that he played some offense. I know. That's crazy. Dude, man. what if he ends up as like a 
quarterbacker, and he ends up playing linebacker and quarterback a little bit, just just a smidge. Is he like, is he the Taysom Hill? Is he the Taysom Hill in this draft? But he's gonna play offense and defense. Bro, bro, he's gonna he's... be like like Taysom Hill and Shohei Otani put together. <laughs> he's a monster, bro. This guy's everywhere. And he played a little bit of running back too. Mm-hmm. So and that perfect ten RAS score, that that combination of size and speed. Um, Scott, you got right a little bit ahead of me. I have I have Leo Chanel as my number ninety two pick. Um, I like what Leo Chanel brings as far as being a potential outside linebacker. Um, he's he's up there too as far as um, RAS scores are concerned. Leo Chanel had a nine point nine nine RAS score. I don't think Leo Chanel makes it past the third round. So if the Packers want to draft a Wisconsin guy, which I unintentionally ended up with three of them. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I want all the Wisconsin guys in my perfect draft. It's just that where they are and what position they play worked out. So um, I yeah, do I'm, like the, I want to know what my dad's talking about here, but no way. Um, I want to know. I have Leo Chanel at my number 92 pick. I have a feeling he's talking about no way about him playing both sides of the ball. Probably. That would be crazy. I wouldn't put it. I mean, it'd, it'd be super interesting. Like, like if the Texans were like, "Dude, our team's gonna be freaking horrible this year." Like, <laughs> let's try to make something fun for people to come and watch. Shit, man! If I was a Texans fan and we were horrible and we had a guy playing both sides of the ball, I'm going to the game, man. Dude, I, I know. It's like I want to watch that. Hell yeah, man! Shit, I'm a Packers fan and I'd be interested in watching that. Man, we were we were going to Bucks games when we we first started having Giannis and, and Jabari going crazy. That was fun to watch, you know. He said. You can, but not QB. Yeah, I don't know about QB. That would be tough. I mean, he's not going to be drafted as a quarterback. He's going to be drafted as a linebacker. I mean, I'm not saying you're going to put him in there for 15 or 20 plays a game, but like, if you're you're just lining up in you know in the middle of the second quarter, and then all of a sudden number 52 is playing quarterback, it's like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, that's like, that be might crazy. throw you off in a wildcat situation. Yeah, that's for sure. And you um, have a guy that you you know it's not. It's not like you're sliding a running back into the quarterback spot and just doing a direct snap and he's going to run. It's like, shit, this guy's in. He might actually throw the ball. Yeah, there's going to be very little to no, you know, scouting report on him as quarterback for real. I mean, like I said, if I'm a franchise that has a, a terrible outlook on a season, like, screw it. Like, what? why not try it? See what happens. Have some fun. I guess. Like the Seahawks. Yeah. I'm happy about that. They're going to suck, though. All right, so my round four, I'm at pick 132 here. I have Kirby Joseph, uh, safety out of Illinois. The Packers run a lot, a lot, a lot of three safety sets. Uh, We lost Henry Black, so Kirby Joseph can be a guy that can go in the backfield with either Amos or Savage, and we can move the other one up. Uh, There's a lot of talks about drafting a safety because they like uh, Savage in that that star role they call, you know, the inside role because he can he can hit and he can cover. So if we can get a guy like Kirby Joseph that can cover deep, and that's mainly what he's good at, that would be something to look forward to. Um, you know, the thing with safety too is the Packers didn't tender Vernon Scott either. So yeah. the Packers are they're absolutely drafting a safety. I would 100. I would yeah. I was gonna say 99.9. It's probably gonna be a guy we we don't even know. <laughs> It'll be Brian Cook from Cincinnati just because there's dude, yeah. Cincinnati's gonna put 10 guys in the draft this year. I bet money on it. They're gonna uh, put 10 it. guys in the draft. Um, because their quarterback's getting drafted, they're gonna have two receivers get drafted, they're gonna have two linebackers get drafted, they're gonna have two say or two corners get drafted, have a safety get drafted, and probably a couple linebackers get drafted. I have so, two, I have two Cincinnati guys 
Is that my list? I have one. I almost had a second one, but I went with Jalen Peter at safety instead of Brian Cook. Um, my number 132 pick, I have Donovan West. He's an offensive lineman. He's versatile. Um, <laughs> he plays center. Um, basically, the Packers like their versatile offensive linemen, so, um, and you know they're going to draft them. They always do. So I have Donovan West at my 132. Uh, my 140, I have Dylan Parham, offensive lineman. Uh, just building up that that depth at that position because I feel like it's gotten a little bit thinner this offseason. So building up that old line is never a bad thing. It's kind of like pass rushers. You can never have enough, right? I feel like old linemen, you can never have enough depth, even if you use them as trade pieces later on. The Packers have a lot of injuries up front the last couple of years. So building the offensive line depth is something that could be really big. Pass that wings are calling. All right, later, Dad. <laughs> um, so it's interesting you make the the comparison with offensive line, defensive line, not having you know never having enough pass rushers. Mm-hmm. I did. I double dipped on defensive line, and I put my guy Josh Pascal in here at my one forty. Yep. I having a potential too deep at every defensive defensive line position. It's it's such a intriguing prospect to me when you pair it with you know a Preston Smith and a Rashawn Gary who can get to the quarterback. And a three-four, yeah. already have an All-Pro linebacker with Devondre Campbell, and you have Chris Barnes and whoever else you draft the other linebacker position, and then one of the, if not the best, secondaries in the NFL. That's where we're getting into top five defense category topic here. Yeah, like the Packers, they put together a, a good draft to fill in some depth. I legitimately think the Packers are going to have a top five defense this year. Oh, I would agree with that. Um, I actually went on our buddy's show, uh, Nick's, last night, and me and Isaac were talking about, you know, b- just building up his defense. Uh, everybody's talking about wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, maybe get an alignment. Why not just go get a wide receiver, maybe see if we can go get another veteran, and then let's just build this defense to be something that's just unstoppable. You know, there's something to be said about dominating defense, making making them, you know, go three and out, sacking them, turning the ball over, just completely dominating them that side of the ball, making every game a field position game. Because we know our special teams are going to improve, right? So if we get our special teams to improve, we're returning punts. This defense is going crazy. You give Rodgers. Uh, oh, look! And I just had a pop up, pop up, and uh, Alec Pierce on the on the photo uh, from an SI article. But you know, you give Rodgers short fields to work with, thirty yards, forty yards. That's going to be beautiful for him. He could be on his way to another MVP. That's Three. that's the thing that I have with with um. <clears throat> Um, I just totally lost my train of thought with Aaron Rodgers. So the defense, it can prepare you for two things. Mm-hmm. It can prepare you a to extend Aaron Rodgers career by yep. not having to exert himself as much. If he can turn around and hand the ball over uh, to Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon more often and, you know, only pass in, you know, obvious passing situations and you know some play action and then just, you know, mixing in the passing game. And only have to throw 25 or 30 passes a game instead of 35 or 40 passes a game that could potentially extend Aaron Rodgers' career. The other thing it can do is it can prepare you for Aaron Rodgers' retirement. If Aaron Rodgers retires in two years when his cap number kind of gets a little funky, uh, it can prepare you for Aaron Rodgers' retirement. Like, yeah, you can draft some really good wide receivers. The Packers could go Chris Olave and say Christian Watson or Chris Olave and – Traylon Burks or Drake London and, you know, drafted guys in the second round. And, you know, you can have some good wide receivers that Jordan Love can come into when he's, you know, ready to be the starter. Or you can have an insane dominant defense 
and you can basically be where the Denver Broncos have been the last couple of years after Peyton Manning's been gone. And yeah. you can say, hey, like you can have dominant defenses that are still going to put you in positions to compete if you have any sort of competitive, uh, competent quarterback play. So, you know, building a building a dominant defense can do a lot of things for you, whether Aaron Rodgers decides to stick around or not. Did I see the video you posted in Prime? Uh, which one is that, James, if you if you know that Jake saw it? I know what it is. It was all right. <laughs> I was, don't know what it is. It was basically about Aaron Rodgers. Ah. Uh, and okay. the draft. I had a thing with, with Aaron Rodgers today about the, the playoff choking artist thing. I know yeah. you've had that discussion all it wasn't. It wasn't about that. It was just about who to draft <laughs> and stuff. Um, I'm going to go to round five. Um, right. Round five, I have tight end. Uh, a lot of Packers fans' favorite player in this draft, Jelani Woods. Uh, this guy's six foot seven. He ran a four six forty. He's just big, fast. Got good hands. He's a obviously he's a massive human being, so he's a good blocker. Imagine him and Big Dog on the line at the end of the line next to each other in a goal line situation, and then you have AJ Dillon in the backfield. What the hell are you gonna do with that? Not a damn thing. Because you're just going to form a real nice U-shape. Yeah, you, and you're all going to be on your ass because we're going to have two six seven guys in there that could both catch the ball. Yeah, and then a human bowling ball behind them. Oh, God. The quad father. Yeah. Um, my 171, I also went tight end. Um, this is the second Wisconsin guy that I have on my list, and I have Jake Ferguson. Um, you know... Like I said, I wasn't doing this on purpose to draft to draft a bunch of guys for the Packers that I like from Wisconsin. Um, but what I do like about Jake Ferguson is that he's got great, 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 great hands. Uh, he's a guy that Rodgers could trust. He's a fundamentally sound guy. He's not going to blow you away with his physical speed or size, but he's fundamentally sound. He's got good technique. He's got good footwork. He's got great hands. He's a willing blocker, and he comes from a, a reputable college program. And a football family, too, true, because he's um, Barry Alvarez's grandson. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, Jake Ferguson, he, he's one of those guys that makes a lot of sense for the Packers. In my opinion, he's got a, a high floor while not, you know, a super-duper high ceiling. I think that, that high floor, I think Jake Ferguson is a safe pick. He's NFL ready, and when you get him day one, that's pretty much what you're going to get from him, and there's nothing wrong with that. He's going to be an NFL producer. All right, Jake, I want to ask you about this because I do think this is worth discussing. Um, about the Aaron Rodgers having say in who gets drafted. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that – I mean, he's not the GM, so he's not going to be making the picks. But I feel like you let Rodgers have his opinion. You let you say, okay, if you want some say, you're going to have to give us your rankings – what you think about these guys, we'll take that into consideration when we're up to pick or we're coming up to pick, and you just kind of let it be that that. Um, yep. Gunakus uh, made comments about it. Uh, he talked about how their relationship, you know, over the last year and a half has really, really improved, you know, over the discussions that they've had. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Aaron Rodgers is a pretty smart guy. Um, he knows a lot of things outside of football, but if there's one thing that he's really smart at, he definitely knows football. And he knows what he likes, so I don't think it's a bad thing to let him make decisions 
on personnel on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know about defense, but offensive right. side, I would definitely take him into consideration. Right. I mean, if we're in if we're in the third round and say Alec Pierce has fallen to the third round, and they're looking at you know Alec Pierce and and Tyquan Thornton and yeah. you know Jalen Tolbert and Khalil Shakir and Justin Ross, and you're looking at potentially five third round wide receivers, and instead of flipping a coin and, and picking one, like you say, hey Rogers, you know, we've looked at these guys. Like, which one do you think would fit in well alongside the guys we have? Which one do you think you could, you know, do the best work with? Mm-hmm. We've, you know, I've said this a whole bunch of times: is that quarterbacks are very often the smartest players on the field in a football game. And I would put Aaron Rodgers in the top two or three in the NFL in being the smartest of all of the quarterbacks. So oh, now you're yeah. talking about basically one of the, if not the smartest player in the entire NFL of 1,500 players, why wouldn't you want to know what he thinks? That's a good point. Very all good right. Point. Hit me with your seventh rounders. All right. So the first pick at 228. I always say his name wrong. Uh, I have Jones Jr. from Tennessee. That's Oh, Valus, Valus Jones. I love Valus Jones Jr. Yeah, I think at round seven, the value for him uh, is incredible. He's yep. Obviously great on special teams, and I think that he actually could be a contributor on offense. Um, he's a guy that runs tough. I see him in that jet sweep situation. I see him running slant runs from the inside. I see if we're going to run uh, some some wide receiver screens, he's a guy that can run tough and break some tackles. He's he's not the shiftiest guy in the world, but he, run, he runs hard. He's like a running back out there, in my opinion. He's, he's pretty compact and put together. So Jones Jr. would be a great pick at 228. Uh, 249, I have Matt Areza. Um, I am, I am okay with this pick if they picked him at two two forty nine because I think it'd be okay to get some young blood in there. A guy that has a boot. Uh, we have a good special teams coordinator now, so even if they just let him sit on the practice squad for a year, they did that with a kicker last year. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to do that with a punter. Um, just get him used to kicking in this cold weather, catching the football. Um, get him used to all the all the the elements that he's gonna have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And then two fifty eight, our last pick. Uh, my second Cincinnati Bearcat, I picked Darren Beavers. He's outside linebacker edge. Um, I kind of had the same mindset as Tyler, where he was talking earlier about, you know, building up this this outside linebackers and having just a good rotation. I feel like Darren Beavers is going to be a guy, he's just going to be a tank. He looks like a tank in a jersey. Um, he's just a guy that can help set the edge on the run and just tell him he plays hard. So that's the first thing that I loved about him. And tell him to go get the quarterback, go get the ball. Man, you put that helmet on, you're a crazed dog. Go out there and do your thing. I think that he actually could be a contributor, which is crazy in round seven. But I think he could be a decent player. So my round seven, I basically, I went with all depth. So my first seventh round pick, I went with Jack Sanborn at 228. Mm -hmm. I know another Wisconsin player. It's not going to happen that they draft three Wisconsin players. This is my ideal draft that I'm picking depth at positions and Jack Sanborn fits that linebacker depth that I'd like to see the Packers have. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that Jack Sanborn would step in and challenge Chris Barnes for a starting role right away, but I do think he could potentially grow into that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've talked about guys like Joe Schobert who's developed into a good NFL linebacker. Obviously TJ mm-hmm. Watt is, is a defensive player of the year category every year. Um, he's plays the outside whereas Jack Sanborn would be more inside, but there have been, plenty of Wisconsin linebackers put into the NFL um, that have done, you know, just solid contribution things. And when we're looking at the seventh round, that's, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, 
as far as falling into the seventh round. I you know I think it's possible he goes anywhere from sixth to the seventh. Yeah. Um, that you know that's just basically what what teams are looking at what needs they have. Um, at two forty nine, I went with this is a this is a total Green Bay Packers pick. Um, I went with Nick Ford. He's an offensive lineman. Um, he plays all five offensive line positions. This yep. is a total Green Bay Packers pick to pick a versatile offensive lineman late in the draft. Uh, and then my last one, I went with a purely special teams guy, and I went with Jalen Naylor, the wide receiver from Michigan State. Um, he's fast. I picture him as a gunner on punt returns and kick returns. Um, that's that's what I pictured using him as. Um, so I have Jalen Naylor as my, my 258 pick. You know, when I'm looking at these drafts, um, obviously I like my drafts. I put it together. It's like people when they talk about fantasy football. Oh, I love my right. team. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, pick. You know what you know what they ass. call that? You know what they call that? What? They call it roster baiting. Oh, that's what that is, dude. I <laughs> freaking hate that, man. You're playing fantasy football, they're like, oh, I really like my team. Oh, my team's gonna be so good. I'm not trading anybody all year because I drafted him, so he's autom- automatically worth double what every other player. Yeah, oh you think you like it? But anyways. Um no. I hope nobody pauses this video and screenshots it on their face. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know what I'm doing between the end of this show and the beginning of the Bucks game. Um, well, it happened at uh, like 159.30, so there you go. Um, but I really like your draft, man. I feel like you filled all the holes. Uh, you drafted safety a little bit sooner than me, but you got a better safety. You drafted the two wide receivers. Uh, obviously, you we picked the same defensive lineman. You got a linebacker in round three just like me. I mean, you filled everything, man. We picked tight end in the same round. So we had a lot of the same ideas, but we fixed all the holes on this Green Bay Packers roster. Either either draft would work for me, man. I'm going to be happy with either of them. Yep, and I hope I hope my actual draft happens, not the two that I picked, the Penning and Burks. Like, Packers have met yeah. with Burks a whole bunch of times, and, mm-hmm. you know, if that's who they decide to go with, you know, that's who they go with. And I would be happy with Trevor Penning at 22 if he fell there. Um I'd be a lot more excited for Drake London and Logan Hall. Um, if we, oh man, if we get Logan Hall and Drake London, oh dude, next week naked on the show, don't care. <laughs> All right, so now I'm up to two guesses in the first round, and either Jake's gonna be naked or he's gonna get a pie in the face. Well, if my right, if I lose, I'll take a <laughs> naked pie to the face. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> then you get both naked pie, baby. Uh, I love too many players. Do it. Scott, we feel the exact same way, man. I know you understand this feeling that we're having because, man, I think I added it up. I think in total we did like 95 or 100 total players that we, we wrote 95. Down. It was 95? Yep. Okay. 95. I did remember then. So we, we scouted 95 players. So we're looking at them. We're watching their film. We're reading about them. We're finding out backstories on them. And then they go to the Bears or this guy goes to the Cowboys. Or this guy goes to the 49ers. This guy goes to the Lions. This guy goes to the Vikings. It's just like. God damn it, I really like that guy. That guy's a nice guy. <laughs> now he's got to go play with the Buccaneers. Like, why? Yeah, now we got to beat him twice a year because he's in Chicago. Sorry, guy. I, I like yeah, you, but. That's what's, oh, God, that's what's going to happen. Leo Chanel is going to get drafted by the freaking Buccaneers. Oh. Eh. Leo Chanel, if I'm really being honest, he feels like a Raven to me, man. Feels Devin, like a Raven. Devin Lloyd is going to be a Raven. I'm feeling yeah. that already. Devin Lloyd's gonna I've be been right hearing uh, your boy Penning to the Ravens. They've been they've been talking they've been talking about that for a long time, man. I could see that too. 
I keep seeing uh, Burks is just everywhere in mocks, man. Everybody's mock yeah, Burks is he's, everywhere. He's anywhere from freaking 10 to 30. Yep, same thing with Olave. Olave's everywhere, all up and down the board. He's either the Saints yep. or the Eagles. Drake, or Drake London and Jamison Williams are in similar boats too, anywhere between 10 and 25. Those and, and Green, I see him anywhere in the late first into the early second. He's somewhere in you, that range. You know what's going to happen with him? He's going to get drafted where those other guys don't. You heard yeah. it here first. Super prophetic. Oh, look yeah. at how I am. He's going to get drafted where those other guys don't. Oh, God. The draft is just so stressful, man. <sighs> and we don't even we don't even have to make the picks. We just have to guess what's going to get there. Scott, I didn't – Scott said he's not – Scott, I'm not going to stand up and show my bare ass, man. <laughs> you just see the same part of me, but just know. Uh, there ain't nothing on. Hey, I could have no pants know. on right now. You wouldn't. That's know. What I was just gonna say, I'm like, well, you know, he doesn't have pants on now. Oh, they're right here. I have pants oh, on. They're, they're on. It's they're on. Here's my shorts. 30, it's 35 degrees here today, which sucks. Yeah, um, man. I'm dude, if Jameis and Williams falls to 22, like we we might throw a party. Bro, on air, you might see me cry. I'll be like, no way, because then they won't draft him. No, you let Jameson go. <laughs> That's what will happen. That's a Packers uh, thing to do. Yeah, oh my God, Jameson Williams for red. It'll be Trevor Penning and Jameson Williams at twenty-two, and they'll take the safe pick and they'll pick the offensive lineman. Yeah, <laughs> bastards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this brings us to our second question: Is should the Packers trade up? So I posted this yesterday, and from yeah. looking at three different charts. So there is the Jimmy Johnson chart, was was created in the early nineties with Jimmy Johnson and one of the front office guys of the Cowboys. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one that was updated by Rich Hill, and then there's another one that was made by Jason Fitzgerald. Uh, Jason Fitzgerald, if you don't remember, a few weeks ago, this was probably probably a little over a month ago, uh, Jake and I talked about the NFL salary cap and where that's expected to go. I referenced Jason Fitzgerald heavily in that discussion because of um, all the research that he did with the salary cap. So he had tons of information that was really good, relevant, um, you know, telling informative information. That sounded so stupid to say informative information, but like it, it was useful, relevant information when discussing the salary cap. Uh-huh. So I liked his, his um, draft value chart. And basically what it is, is Jake and I agreed, you know, the number eight pick from the Falcons, the number tw- the number 10 pick from the Jets, and the number 13 pick from the Texans are the most um, logical places that we could think for the Packers to trade up. If they want to go to number eight, it's probably going to be something like number 22, 53 and 140. Uh, if they want to go to number 10, it's going to be something like 22, 59, and then like a third for a fourth round pick swap. And then if they want to go up to number 13, it's a much more tolerable, uh, would be something like 22 and 59. That I would, that's the only one that I would consider is number 13. Yeah. Um, if you can trade number 22 and number 59 and get up to number 13, you're going to pretty much guarantee yourself Drake London, Jameson Williams, or Chris Olave. Yeah. Um, at number 13, you get ahead of the Patriots, you get ahead of the Saints, you get ahead of the Eagles, who all could potentially be looking for wide receivers. And like Houston I said, you guarantee yourself one of those three. And Houston's going to want picks because they're going to need a lot of players. Right. So going up to 13 for me, that's right right in that sweet spot area, like you were talking about all the teams that are going to take wide receivers. That's where the run's going to start, man. Right. And, and you know, Barry you Wilson up to 13, will probably be off the board there. But. Yep. Or Olave. I mean, you you could say any of them, really. Right. Um, Washington, not sure what they're going to do. Minnesota, not sure what they're going to do. You get the ball tomorrow. They're talking about getting an offensive lineman, maybe a wide receiver. We don't know. Washington and Minnesota could both easily conceivably go defense. 
Yep. It would not shock me at all. Um, you're looking at like Sauce Gardner and Kyle Hamilton going in there, a bunch of offensive linemen, and maybe maybe a quarterback or two. Yeah, I mean the thing. I mean Scott saying is still a no bueno. Um, the thing is, you could you know look at this value chart. I like the Jimmy Johnson one. Um, that's the one that I used for for most of my research, but. Uh, you look at the value of a second round pick. We have, you know, we have an extra fourth rounder. Uh, we we have a we have still have a fifth rounder that we we might not use. We can use those to kind of get back into the second round if we wanted to. Minnesota, yeah, they're probably going cornerback. Yep, I agree. Um, Pittsburgh, they're they're ahead of us at twenty. They're probably going quarterback as well. Uh, Philadelphia has two picks, and, and New Orleans has two picks. So those are teams that are definitely taking wide receivers. Yeah. yeah. And, and I keep hearing Dotson going to Green Bay, and I'm just not in love with that idea. Especially not, in the first round. If he fell to the second round, I'd consider it, but I do not want to draft Jahan Dotson in the first It's round. not that I hate the guy. I think that he sucks or he has no game. It's just like there's just other options where I'm looking at it, and I'm yeah. just like, I like I this guy better, one, and I like this guy better. I would 1,000% percent rather draft Logan Hall at 28 than Jahan Dotson. Oh, 100%. And me too, man. Dude, if they get Logan Hall at 28, me and you are about to throw a party, buddy. <laughs> Gonna get a hall pass. <laughs> yes, I laughed harder at, you, at, at, at your pun than you laughed at my pun, so I win. I win the pun battle. You laughed harder <laughs> at my pun. Oh damn it! I don't want to lose. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else? I mean, then basically, once tomorrow comes around, our draft prep is done for the year. Yeah. Um, actually, we do have a good episode next week. Um, yes, yeah. Next week we will be talking about post draft, but pre draft prep. Yeah, we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have a guest on with us next week. Uh, he's pretty good. You guys might know him from Twitter. His name is Paul Brettel. Um, he writes articles. He's, he's a little big time, I would say. Um, but he's a pretty smart guy. I've been talking to him for a couple of months now. But he's gonna be um, on. He works with Cheesehead TV, right? Yeah. Yeah, he does. So oh, that's, uh, that's obviously a big outlet. So next week yep. will be a big episode uh, just for us personally, really. But uh, I'm really excited to talk post-draft, man, after all this work that we did. It's going to be kind of like a yep. sigh of relief, a little relaxation. Um, yeah, it'll be really nice to have that all done. Um, I'm going to be writing down the draft picks as they happen, and I'm going to put my value where I value them at and where we drafted them at, and I'm going to give yep. it a grade um, at the end of it. So next week we'll give out our grade, what we think for the Green Bay Packers draft. Uh, we'll talk Bucks versus Celtics, and hopefully we'll be talking about how the Brewers are all of a sudden on fire with the baseball bats. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, twelve runs every single game between now and next Wednesday. Uh, seven RBIs every game for Willie Adams, even on the off day. Still yep, even run. on the off day. Yep, and seven RBIs. <laughs> I'm with that. All right, but well, the Bucks game's gonna start in about twenty minutes, and then yes, tomorrow, tomorrow we are going to live stream during the first round. So if you want to come and and hang out with us during the first round of the NFL draft. We will be live streaming during that, so come hang out with us. If you guys are wondering why I'm wearing black today, it's because I'm attending the Chicago Bulls funeral. Oh, that was a good one. I like that. I'm putting on my black jersey in a sec here because that's what I'm assuming. <laughs> so, uh, no, right. the Bucks will probably wear the white ones. But, yeah, they'll probably wear the city ones with the purple yeah. on them. All right, man. Take care. Right. We'll see you man. tomorrow night. Scott.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.